Don't shit in people's beds. That's what you should do. <laughs> I mean, do. certainly don't do that. Can we start certainly there? Not. Can we start there? Yes, we definitely should. Don't be surprised that everybody's going to find out that you're a horrible person after you shit in someone's fucking bed. Of course they're going to find right. out you're a horrible person. <laughs> Look what you just did. All of this like thing that, that Randall Flagg has built out of fear and deception. If you see this guy for what he's really doing and the ways in which he's trying to deceive you for his own ends, like if you just let that all go, he loses his power. Is the 2020 edition of The Stand as, as seen on Paramount Plus a Palmer's pick? Oh! Greetings! Dave here to welcome you to Long Walk Short Drink Episode 90, as in 1990, the year that gave us good fellas, Rocky Five, which I wish I still had on VHS instead of this DVD from a box set. I can still picture Rocky, you know, with the with the bruised face going like this. The po- I actually might still have that poster, um, but I do not still have that VHS. I'll tell you what I do have a VHS of from 1990, Death Warrant, Jean-Claude Van Damme's prison movie. And I'll tell you what, I watched this for, for the first time in HD within the last like two weeks. I had my first night alone as a uh, like a bachelor for um, for an evening since the pandemic, and I was like, "What am I going to do with this bizarre free time?" <laughs> and, I'm like, and so I decided, "Well, I'm going to watch a death warrant." I even took a video of of me watching the opening of it through like a haze of surly furious. Perhaps I'll tweet that on the uh, long walk short drink at LWSD Pod on Twitter. What else came out in 1990? Home Alone. Yeah, I still have this VHS. We also watch it every Christmas. I quoted it in the last like two days. Love it. Edward Scissorhands. How about that? Johnny Depp, who comes up in this episode. <laughs> it is Tim Burton heyday. Winona Ryder as well. State of Grace. The Irish. Oh, my VHSs are falling. The Irish Mob in New York. This stars Gary Oldman. Sean Penn, Robin Wright Penn, Ed Harris, and is directed by Phil Juanu, the film he made after doing the documentary sort of grand cinematic portrait of U2, oh, Rattle and Hum, it gets a bad rap, but uh, this this is a little scene movie that is uh, really, I think, pretty excellent, and uh, is actually one of my Palmer's picks. When Palmer did his 1999 cable access show, this was my appearance, one of my three movies I brought on, and you know what? And uh, it's not public yet, but just because I love you guys, I'm going to post an unlisted uh, private Vimeo link to that video, that my 1999 appearance with Palmer. This was like the earliest prototype of Long Walk Short Drink. So I'll put it in the description uh, notes of this episode. Uh, and you can hear me talk at length about State of Grace with Palmer. Not really at length, you know, like we do on this show. This was a half hour cable access show, so... Uh, also 1990 pump up the volume now i didn't see this till a couple years later but uh when i did 
sure, I may have done my own cassette, like pirate radio <laughs> program, which I talked about the trials and tribulations of not high school, but middle school <laughs> in my best Christian Slater voice. And, and yeah, that's, that's on the internet too. <laughs> uh, it's called Mark the Dark. And uh, it's, I'll, you know what? Because I love you guys. I'll put a link to the uh, previously and maybe still. What is it? Anonymity through obscurity. I'm going to put a link to a playlist of, of those taped episodes. Oh my God. Just because why not? Because <laughs> it's up there. Also 1990. Brendan Lee's first English film starring role, uh, you know, like Brandon Lee in type thing, Laser Mission. Look at this cover. It kind of tells you everything you need to know. This movie is not good, but it is <laughs> kind of a lot of fun. Like it would be great. I don't know if it is, but it should be definitely on one of those riff tracks or how did this get made or something like that. There's some fun things about it, but um, <laughs> anyway, so that came out in 1990 as well. David Lynch's Wild at Heart won the Palm d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. Man, what is this? The snakeskin jacket? The snakeskin jacket is a symbol of my individuality and my belief in personal freedom. <laughs> Recommend this. In television, David Lynch was uh, taking over, changing the face of television that year as well. A Twin Peaks premiered on, I want to say ABC. I don't know, it doesn't say it on this. Um, but uh, yeah, a masterpiece. I'm not sure where you can watch it these days, but I'm sure it's out there and it is goddamn magnificent, especially the, uh, the pilot episode, which is like a two-hour movie. This was, it was kind of released on home video as a two-hour um, like self-contained movie that I believe played in Europe that actually sort of wraps up the storyline in like a 15 minutes extra that's not. And anyway, getting off topic here, but uh, also in television, Beverly Hills and I don't do a no premiered. And I might, Jesus, what got into me today? Yeah, I might be rewatching the series before bed a little bit at a time. And I might, I'm like up to the fifth episode or something like that. I don't know. I haven't been counting, but. Oh, Self disclosure. Anyway, also in 1990, the uh, Stephen King's, <clears throat> Stephen King's It. Watch, I also didn't, I didn't see this like when it came out, but we have talked about it, of course, on this show. Um, and, uh, what else? So in music, ooh, 1990. In 1990, um, this this tape is a replica of the tape that that resulted in Pearl Jam. So I'm not going to tell the whole story, even though this is Long Walk Short Drink. But a tape of demos made its way out to San Diego, where a young surfer, a musician named Eddie Vedder, went out surfing one morning and the song alive kind of sprung to his mind from these instrumentals he, he put a, he made a tape with like artwork he sent it for you can see in the video version of this for stone and jeff and then it was like taped over a what is this oh it doesn't say huh it's kind of neat like anyway you can see he used uh, an actual he taped over a commercial tape but he actually he used white out to everything except for a friend from california which is the, if I knew the band or the title, and then all of these letters down here, you can unscramble to, to read Eddie. You can see his face there in a photocopier, as well as the date. 9-13-1990. This uh, tape came with the reissue of their first album. And 
Speaking of first albums, Ani DeFranco's first album came out in 1990. I haven't heard this in ages. I think there's a remaster online. Perhaps I'll check that out. She's still kicking ass. Um, <laughs> Phil Collins, Serious Hits Live. Now, let me... <laughs> I realize it's perhaps not cool to like Phil Collins, but when, when 1990, I would have been like 10 and 11... I think Jacko, our buddy Jacko, who we've yet to wrangle onto the podcast, but it comes up a lot. I think he liked Phil Collins and had this tape. And so, um, oh man, I don't know if I can share this one with you, <laughs> but it is up there at that Dreaming Out Loud Mixed Cloud site. <laughs> we did a radio show, he and I, that <laughs> oh this was large. There were a lot of songs from this Phil Collins Seriously Live uh, album. It's called WDMS, and I, I, I better leave it at that, I guess. <laughs> but looking at these songs, I'm going to listen to this. The Bride was, my my wife, The Bride, was listening to, uh, to In the Air Tonight. Tina's getting ready. Oh! That's not, not 1990 related, so I guess I can't tell you. But, um, that you know, as you know, we're not talking about any of that stuff. Just like we're not talking about the 100th year anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921, but I do recommend you look into that if that does not ring a bell um i never heard of it until i watched uh, it was as the opening scene of watchmen the hbo series and uh, i won't get into it too much it's pretty damn important uh look into that i'll tell you what we are talking about we are talking about something that does have a 1990 connection and that is we are talking today about the 2020-21 CBS All Access slash Paramount Plus miniseries adaptation of Stephen King's The Stand. And I know what you're saying. What the fuck does that have to do with 1990? I'll tell you. This book that I'm holding, the, uh, what do they call it? The complete and uncut uh, hardcover of The Stand is was published in 1990. And... The ending here is different in this this version than in the original one that came out in the 70s and is pretty much replicated in the televisions in the in the 2020 version of the series we're going to talk about today and we're going to be doing that joined by Palmer's lovely bride Ash and uh if you know the 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 history of the show a bit uh it already came up in terms of like our past Palmer and I but Palmer's picks you know, was once this cable access uh, show in which Palmer would invite on a guest to talk about th three films of theirs to, just to find out if they would be, you know, if he liked them as well and whether or not they were Palmer's picks. And, and since um, Ash's star turn talking about Get Out with, with Palmer early in our run, we now have a recurring segment that we haven't done in ages called Palmer's Pick, where the apostrophe moves over to the other side of the S to include the plural. And we bring in this very welcome guest to the show to lend uh, a female perspective. And it is always a treat. And I had a lot of fun to I talk their ears off. It was, I think it was Palmer's idea that we watched this together. And I, uh, <laughs> I think around hour four and a half, he was starting to be like, Oh, why did I suggest this? But uh, actually um, it was a four and a half hour uh, conversation. <laughs> But we talked about the stand in the second half of it. And so that's what I'm going to present to you today. Um, the first half of it, we talk with Ash and Palmer about 
um, about their intermittent fasting practices, as well as some th- ways that they've kind of rearranged their life and their home to try to um, institute some changes, uh, positive changes in their life that I've been inspired by and wanted to uh, talk about with them more, as well as share with you. And so that will be the, the next show. But this one, we're talking about the stand. But first, I want to tell you quickly about a couple things that people in the Long Walk Short Drink uh, community have made. Incidentally, if, uh, if you're a listener and you make stuff, well, um, why don't you tell us about it? I'll, I'll, I'll read it on one of these things, one of these openings. Why not? My brother, Moto, who contributed y- years ago the rock and theme music that you, you hear at the beginning and end, um, has released some new music under his one-man band name, The Fascist Puppeteer. And uh, it is called, the, the EP is called Red Eye Highway S- Session. And it is on DreamingOutLoudRecords.com for free, as well as streamable wherever you uh, you get your music on your your iTunes, your uh, what uh, I don't know, <laughs> Amazon, what's the Spotify, all that stuff, YouTube. You can find it. You should listen to it. If we had a break in this uh, in this episode, I would play it as a song from the break, but. Um, since we don't, and I, I was going to maybe put it as underscore here, but I feel like that that is not necessarily the kind of attention it deserves. So I'm telling you, you must check it out. I think my favorite is actually, of the songs on it, is Coda, the uh, the the last song, which is an instrumental, but really cool. Got some really cool riffs and stuff going on. So great work there. Actually, beautiful cover art from our, our old buddy and Phil Collins fan, Jacko. <laughs> Check that out. DreamingOutLoudRecords.com. It's the it's the latest release there. Fascist Puppeteer Red Eye Highway Session. And so I myself um, have been working on something that is not quite completely done. But I by the time we t- I talk about you, I talk with you next time. There's something else I want to share that will be done by that point. So I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there now. And that is. Um, I've been kind of building out my website, davidallman.net, with um, sort of the film projects that I've done over the years as I work towards some in particular. And uh, the one that I finished most recently was a documentary called Steve Finding Rhythm. Now, um, what this is quickly is the when I was 21, um, myself and a bunch of our friends who generally played music individually, you know, we'd sing songs around the campfire at the cabin, like one at a time. One of us, thank God, Logan, who'll be on the next episode, uh, he, he played drums and so percussion. And so he, he, thank God was sort of the anchor that allowed us to actually have a band that we jokingly referred to as Steve. And so this documentary was filmed in this summer of 2000 and put together um, in 2004 and um, is uh, really one of my favorite things I've ever done. And I think because I was finishing it, I was finishing it kind of to get it, I don't know, just kind of get it out of my system. And then I was moving right into like my solo uh, career playing music. And so I didn't really try to do much with it. I didn't enter it in any festivals or anything like that. But I think it's a really interesting kind of portrait of... um, of young people like we were just a little too old i think to be starting a band like this too busy in our lives but like the culture of creativity around our group of friends was such and my job working at the cable access center kind of facilitated that was like the only place uh, we could practice and if we you use that facility just like with palmer's picks or whatever you're supposed to the, the you can't make any money but you have to provide them with programming and so this was obviously seen by me as an opportunity and i got folks to kind of 
uh, follow us around and film sort of documentary type stuff. And, and from the outset intended to create a documentary around what we were doing. And it was the first time it actually that enterprise facilitated the under the creative undertaking that we were. I don't think we'd have been able to have this band if it weren't for that documentary. Anyway, it's, it's, it's a, it's a lot to explain. And uh, I go into great detail on the website at, with a kind of an essay form. And that's what I'm almost finished with. So depending on when you visit it, uh, davidalman.net under the film tab or directly at davidalman.net slash finding dash rhythm. You can see uh, this trailer, newly assembled trailer, three minute trailer for that documentary that I think distills like kind of what it's about and um, gives you a flavor of it. It's, it's like, it's hilarious. It's, you know, it's this portrait of creativity and the obstacles that people face to kind of, you know, dream out loud as, as I like to say. And uh, anyway, so that's something I wanted you to know about. Um, I am going to put the tr- three minute trailer as the dreaming out loud archive outro segment. So stay tuned for that after the, the, uh, the discussion here with uh, Ashen Palmer about the stand. And so uh, without further ado, I'm just going to throw it over to us uh, from last weekend, I guess from May 29th, 2021. This is myself ash and palmer talking about the 2020-21 adaptation of stephen king's the stand Okay, so I've got uh, this like episode guide, and these are short sentences, not even in like the kind I would write. So they might be a, a guide through some of this, but but to kind of kick us off too, I was curious. Um, you, you Ash had never read the book, never had probably a limited understanding of what the story might be. Were, was it? Uh, were you? Did, were you like, oh, don't watch that without me? I want to see this too because how did it come to be that you watched it together? Um, he asked if I was interested. He told me that, um, we were going to have to subscribe to CBS all access <laughs> because <laughs> he wanted access to the stand. And, uh, then I think I might've watched the trailer on my own. And I was really intrigued with, um, this sounds, might sound kind of lame, but I, ha- I like the view, some episodes of the view I will watch on YouTube. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. Clips. Yeah of the host talking and Whoopi Goldberg being on it. She is still on it. And I just like hearing her opinions about things and I like hearing her talk about things. And she's, um, she spoke very passionately and very um, energetically about her experience working on the stand and about, she even called out and said, you know, my job is giving me, is doing a really awesome thing by allowing me to go work for this other network. And she feels like she had passed by the opportunity to be in the stand um, a, a couple decades ago. Like I guess when they, they tried to do a reboot um, once before and they tried to get her on board to play this part and she turned it down and so she had said or or there was a conflict or some reason that she couldn't do it so she said in that moment and in an interview with Stephen King like if there's ever another opportunity please ask me again like I would love to be a part of this and this was her opportunity and ABC Studios who she works for ABC Universal whatever the company is um, could have said no and they allowed her they're allowing her to work with CBS to to produce this and that was like back when she's like a CBS streaming 
opportunity something whatever like didn't even know didn't even have like the right word to call it because like cbs all access or whatever they ended up calling it didn't know the name at the time i guess so that part was funny but knowing how excited she was to to talk to do it made me watch the trailer and learn more about it and then i asked him and then he was like well if you're interested like you can watch it and we you know we could talk about it so i think that's how it happened did that is that accurate yeah babe yeah that's pretty much it i mean I knew I was going to watch it one way or another. Well, that's and, true. <laughs> uh, it's always, I, I'm sure this is probably, well, maybe not so much for you, Dave, because you're really good at um, finding the time to watch that. I, I feel like if we don't watch it together, I'm just not going to ever watch it. Oh, and, no, I relate to that well, 100%. There are yeah the only television series that is a new TV series and not something I watch, just sort of nostalgic, like to kind of have on for comfort before I go to sleep is the is warrior but there are series tons of series that i would like and uh there's that one that's like all like frankenstein is that was penny dreadful but and we started to watch it together the bride and i and i was when she was out i was like shit i'm never gonna see this (laughs) because i'm not gonna make the time (laughs) so it is a big thing and actually i i don't know that i would have seen this if the bride didn't surprise me by being like because i was a little reticent um 2020 was tough and a lot of the things that were brought up were really difficult. They're still difficult. And this just hits so close to home with this. Yep. What I knew the stand to be ultimately too. Cause when I read it uh, or listened to it, et cetera, it was like 2016 probably ish. So I was already drawing some parallels to some things that we experienced in America and probably a lot of people across the <laughs> world. Uh, but anyway, so I was just like, Oh man, <laughs> I was just not, it was a difficult sell. And I actually haven't even, I haven't really engaged with Stephen King much in the last, like throughout 2020. I think the last even fiction book I read would have been like Christine in my, in oh, my wow. Stephen King chronology and maybe like 2019. That's a good one though. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I didn't come in into like a few years ago, you know, when you guys first came out and Palmer and I just so happened to be going through Stephen King's chronology, albeit at a very different entry points. I didn't have an under uh, a background with Stephen King. It was a blind spot for me. It, oh. it it held no sort of nostalgia, and a lot of like just gaps. Like I hadn't seen stuff, hadn't read stuff, didn't know about it, and was have enjoyed it and been able to share it with Palmer these last few years. So I do now have like a soft spot for it. But even so, when uh, he was like, "Hey man, I'm going to watch this. I'm excited." I was, Oof, I don't know, <laughs> and that was kind of it for a while. But then uh, we were finishing something, the bride and I, and I was like, would you want to, because I thought she might be into it because of the, she loves The Walking Dead. And we talked about this in our actual stand recording episodes, um, 12 and 15 of A Long Walk Short Drink, where I was like, you know, I feel in some ways like I've gotten a really good version of the stand through The Walking Dead. Because even though The Walking Dead has got this mm. backdrop of zombies, it's really about the survivors and the dynamics and all of this. Yep. Sure. Um, and actually at that time in 2016, they were introducing the Negan character who's got a very similar dynamic with his sanctuary um, for anyone listening that knows that too, like what new Vegas was and the sort of ruling mm. through fear type thing. It all just really resonated even to the point we're listening back to um, and Palmer, you were saying like, there's been very few really successful Stephen King adaptations and most of them have been done by Frank Darabont. Frank Darabont developed 
the walking dead for television and essentially probably yeah. executed it like he might have the stand mm. uh yeah. so anyway i thought she might be into it for that reason and so i just floated it out there i was like would you maybe want to watch this and she was like uh yeah yeah actually actually i would and so um so i'm not sure if i would have seen it if my wife didn't kind of buy into it so i relate to that wholeheartedly about whether or not i it see just, something <laughs> it just makes it easier to consume if you're both consuming the same thing like because yeah, then you don't have true. to find tv time by yourself and you right. don't you know like yeah. all that stuff so uh, and i think knowing yeah. that i have in the course of our eight years of knowing each other have uh really allowed my my stubbornness when it comes to tv and movies to be expanded a little bit like i'm more much more uh willing to give something a chance than i probably would have been in 2013 when we first met and started watching things together. I think I was yeah. much more hesitant to say yes of to something scary, especially. And there have been a lot of, of things that I've watched that I would say, hell no, I'm never going to watch that. Yeah. That I've really enjoyed. And you've yeah. shared a lot yeah. of that in this context too, on the show. And I think that's perhaps what led bo- to, to us talking about it all together. I mean, as yeah. well as it's nice to have this kind of out um, outsider perspective slightly to like the Stephen King of it all to kind of lend a, yep. an objective point of view. But I also think too, basically Palmer and I have talked about this incrementally. We were never quite at the same point in the show when we would talk about it, but some of what intrigued me so much was he's like, Ash has been really into this. And she would say like, after a couple of days, I'm still thinking about this episode that we watched. And so, um, yeah, I'm especially interested to hear your, yeah, your reactions to all this. Um, okay, so we'll just maybe dive in here. So the the there's nine episodes. We'll just see where this all takes us. Um, the first one is called the end, and the single sentence synopsis is when the captain trip when the captain trips flu epidemic wipes out more than ninety nine percent of the population. The ma- the remaining few immune to the disease set out in search of other survivors. And as I recall, this one is pretty. I actually watched the recap. So CBS All Access for those listening now. It's called Paramount Plus. And uh, so if you want to watch this, that's where you can find it. I watched the recaps like uh, previously on the stand uh, this morning, as well as the well sequence. Um, But so this one is focused on um, Harold Lauder and um, I almost said Nadine, but it's uh, Franny Goldsmith, uh, their characters. Yeah. And then as well as a little bit um, cuts back and forth with Stu Redman. Those are the people we're introduced to. Um, so what were your sort of initial reactions then? I guess this would be the first episode. So were you into it right away, Ash? Or did you, were you like, uh, we'll see where this goes? <laughs> I think I was intrigued by the story. Um, I, I feel like the stories, if the story is good, it sucks me in. And then I can like, there's obviously things that were uncomfortable about it, but I was into the story. So I was curious enough to see where it went and to stay in, engaged. And I like the way that the, I mean, I, I appreciate both versions. Um, the way that they presented Harold, Harold's relationship with Franny was very, it was a little bit different in both versions, but I prefer the, um, the CBS all access versus the, the nineties one. I think, I think, I think it's fate safe to say that, the, the these characterizations from the 2021 are going to appeal to us more because we're just living they're, they're more relatable to That's, this time yeah. period yeah i'm sure in 1994 we would have said the same thing like would have preferred yeah, those, that's versions, true. those characters so that's a good point um i i, I think uh 
all of the characterizations were cat at least if even if they weren't if they didn't do the character justice in the actual show the cast was cast phenomenally across the board yes. in my opinion yeah like yeah it, yeah even if they weren't you mean like the book necessarily they work really well within the show yeah yeah like that like oh that person does a, that character like uh, does that character very well like I I'm not a uh I, and I'm not trying to jump ahead because we're on episode one but like Trash Can Man is a good example where I feel mm. like that character kind of got gutted a little bit like they just didn't uh, and it makes it even worse because the guy playing him does such a fantastic job I wanted to just see more of that character I think yeah um, yeah yeah I'm not even um well hesitate to be like negative because I pretty much have nothing but positive things to say about the the new series for some reason, like Ezra Miller, the actor annoys me, whatever. That's just oh, is what it is. Yeah. But I did think it was like a pretty, an interesting and effective take on the character of just like this screeching, <laughs> like feral. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, uh, trash can, man. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the characters, yeah, the casting, I would, I feel the same way. And actually, one of the, so I have this perspective too of what we talked about. If others listen to our other episodes, like I'll try to leave out a lot of the things. But one thing I thought would be interesting to share that I was reminded of was we were we did talk about this the miniseries I think in the last like forty minutes of of the episode fifteen of Long Walk Short Drink, and we and, and I think the parallel we drive to that like how we might have felt about it then, as opposed to now and and in twenty seventeen when that conversation was had was like Molly Ringwald as as Franny was seems it's tough to take now and not doesn't go, go over super well. But if you think about the relationship or who that character was in the book, in terms of like someone who might've been popular or really desirable by Harold in high school, um, that if you think about Molly Ringwald in 1994, basically 10 years out of being that kind of girl next door from the eighties would probably have made a lot of sense. Um, Yep. One of the things I really liked about this Franny was that she wasn't someone recognizable to us. And she was one of the most sort of uh, everyday earthy kind of less movie star type care kind of vibe. Because that's kind of a leading lady role. And it's not to diminish uh, or sort of denigrate Odessa Young here who played it. But like, you know, she didn't have like veneers. (laughs) And, uh, you know, she sort of seemed like a a real person in, in a, in a really grounding way for yes. the whole show. Girl next door. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I'm yeah. looking through her filmography right now on IMDB and like nothing jumps out at me. Yeah. I'd never as, seen her before. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, but she, I, I agree though. She is like cast perfectly. Like she's, uh, she did such a fantastic job as Fran. Um. Yeah, I like James Marsden too. I can't say I've ever particularly cared for James Marsden prior to this. Who played Sue Redman? That's not yeah. Kind of, maybe because he played like certain smarmy roles. I don't know why. I've, he's just never. I've never been like I like that guy. And now I feel that way about him because of this show. I even saw him as a smarmy guy since then. I watched uh, uh, with the bride. We watched Dead to Me, uh, on Netflix, in which he plays just. A terrible guy. Well, not a terrible guy, but kind of that's the general. He played 
kind of characters I probably haven't liked him as an actor for because I associated mm. with. But now, because I saw him as Stu Redman, I'm like, I was on board. <laughs> I had more sympathy for him as this douchebag because I liked him being yeah. Stu. Um, I liked he did a, a fantastic... And, and honestly, I really like Gary Sinise. I think he's one of the like shining lights of the original miniseries. Uh, but yeah, no, he did a fantastic job as Stu Redman and just in this, uh, 2020 version and just like everyone else, Harold Lauder, that guy oh, yeah, was, yeah. when, when he is doing, he's got the picture of Tom Cruise on his yes! and like yes! practicing that smile. And then later on, when he's around people, you see him shoot that grin a couple times, mm-hmm. and you're, it's yeah. just like it's creepy. That's brilliant! It is, yeah, brilliant brilliantly creepy. creepy, brilliantly yeah. creepy. Um, yeah, he was lanky and just—I uh, don't know—just had that big jaw with like where he's hiding those teeth at, you know, mm-hmm. and just like really sold it. I—I I, I don't know. Cause he did sort of seem like unassuming when like they show him at the beginning being bullied and you kind of, you understand the certain archetype of a, of a character. Um, but there was something about his face that by the end and where he meets his meets his end is in his like screaming after Nadine is truly terrifying. Like hit the sort of structure of his face and the, and the way that his rage contorts it, there's a like quite a range in this guy. Uh, well, I'd also never seen Owen Teague. Yeah, and yeah. I, I mentioned in our um, our other things, our other um, podcasts, where I think based on the characterization in the book, I always imagined Harold to be kind of a Eugene from Walking Dead, a more of a kind of a doughy, um, nerdy guy uh, rather than a lanky one. And uh, so I, by this point, I'd let that go because I didn't. I'm trying to remember who I can't remember who played him in the 94 one, but it was, I was less thrown by like, this is, this person isn't like the person in the book this time around and more accepting than I was for the 94 miniseries. Cause that's how he is in the book, right? Like he is kind of like chubby a little bit and they talk about like life on the road. after Yeah. The, all the Captain walking trips, like, yeah, he leans, he really thins out and, yeah. and kind of starts to transform. And, uh, he did, well, and that's part of also the storytelling. I mean, of course, we see flashbacks, mm-hmm. but this movie starts out with Harold like digging holes for bodies, like they're yes, like, he's on in the Boulder, scene, like the, yeah, in Boulder, like way after. Are, like you're already like <laughs> that's it. When that book first came out, it was 800 pages, and then the uncut edition is like close to 1,200 pages, I think. So, mm-hmm. like by the time they're in Boulder and he's on that crew, like 400 pages are gone out of that book. like that you've gone through and this that that, i think that's also part of like why they did that is like we're we are going to be deviating from this a little bit like we're you're this is just because you're familiar with the story it's not the same story you know you know Uh, yeah yeah and Mm. uh i thought that was a bold choice to just start out at that point and you see harold right in the first scene like that's that's what it you know if i remember right that's yeah, I think so. I think it starts with him, them like a whole crew going into a to a place, and a they're house. all like, yeah. yeah, and they've got all the gear on to protect themselves, and you see the decayed body, and that's how he got introduced to this, um, you know, post pandemic world. And <sighs> I think it's in this scene where Harold finds the the clipping on the on a mirror of Tom Cruise, 
um, yep. from a, like a um, an us or People Weekly or something like that. And he's like, I want to kind of be like that guy. And then you real so then, but then we kind of go back. It's interesting because my experience of the Stephen King books and even the way that his influence unfolded in like, you know, sort of the prime of my movie going age and youth prime being uh, impressionable time, I would say like of something like dust till dawn from dust till dawn, where half the movie introduced you to these characters and seems like one movie. And then it becomes a horror movie in the second half. Mm, I remember yeah. them kind of attributing that to a certain Stephen King influence of like, his d- development of characters in everyday life before supernatural stuff hits them. So that when the supernatural hits them, you're invested in his character development so much that you accept it more and it's more affecting. Yeah. And one it's way I think- It's easier to suspend disbelief because you have mm-hmm. emotional investment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in that case, in the, in the mid nineties or whatever, that movie was different in the sense that it took the Stephen King formula of that half and half and applied it to a yep. movie where you don't normally see it like that. This series took that Stephen King formula. Well, it took that development and it applied it to a more modern filmmaking and television sensibility where it didn't necessarily, you didn't necessarily spend your time linearly with these people and then bad shit happens to them. It sort of jumbles the order to where the bad shit happens. And then you realize more, in this new structure, like how it informed. I don't know. So, so it was interesting. So for fans of the book and uh, who knew the story, I feel like it engaged us in a different way of like, oh, how are they going to mm-hmm. treat this? And how are they going to, I feel like they really use this new medium to, to enhance the storytelling and leverage the, the strengths of it and all the, that's developed in the time in between to kind of keep us, keep us in there. I, I thought it was pretty cool. Palmer. Was, I agree was thank you <laughs> yeah uh w- was harold a writer in the book was that an aspiration of his i didn't remember that i believe so yeah okay um, uh, that was uh he because even in the book he keeps that whole manifesto i, I think that's what the, like that journal that he leaves behind when he dies in the 2020 version is like yeah. <clears throat> an homage but Remember, that's what they find to kind of convince themselves that Harold is a bad person is when they, in the book, they do that whole subplot and she ends up finding that his manifesto and reads it and, and, but it's like on the eve when everything's happening. So it's no, it's, it's too late, obviously, when she finds it. Uh, And they kind of tie in. Francis is who finds it. Uh, Yeah. Is it Francis? Yeah. 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 Yeah, and yeah. they do that in the show. I, could, I couldn't remember that if that was a thing. 2021 too. Like yeah. she finds like some of that stuff, but like yeah, him being a writer and then gets trapped in her base, his basement. Does that happen in the book too? Um, I th- the way that it, he I trapped her. Somewhat like like that's how he knows that somebody was in there is because the window is broken. Like she ends up mm. breaking the window in the book, I think, and uh, she either broke that window to get out or broke that window to get in and that broken window is what lets him know, Oh, somebody knows all this shit. And he goes right to the book and Mm. realizes it's disturbed. I think if I'm, man, it's been a long time since I've been through the stand. Well, I think, yeah, I couldn't, I definitely, I felt like the writer thing was new. So it's, it's kind of, I'm, it's really, I'll I'll just trust you that it was in the book. I I would, because your memory about these things are better. But 
So I didn't know if that was a new addition. And the homage, like you mentioned the word homage, they had the, did you notice the nail? Do you remember that? The nail with yeah. the rejection oh, yeah. letters, the Stephen King. T- yep. Yep. Um, that was, because that's, that's famous, exactly what Stephen yeah. King did. Like he had to, he remembered sticking his first rejection on, he had, there was a nail hanging on the wall, like sticking out of the wall. And so he just slammed that rejection letter on there. And he said, by the time he graduated high school, like the nail was full of rejection letters before he got his first, ex- like, yeah, we want to publish this. And yeah. wow. That was a fun Easter so, egg for guys like us. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. So, and I think the, the other, sure. the other cool thing about the Harold Lauder kind of casting and why, why I think it's really effective in a different way, maybe than it was with that sort of different, you know, maybe um, the sort of heavy set versus wiry. There was something kind of, it resonated with like, you know, like your Columbine shooter type thing. Like he's the kind of kid who like pushed too far would shoot up a school yes. and ultimately did kind of destroy a, <laughs> People, yes. rather, people because people it couldn't up, be a part of them blew up an old lady's house like attempted to blow up an old lady so yeah uh, yeah uh and so he was creepy like that yeah, that gave him aspects of that creepiness because i totally yeah. agree with you his like lanky all limbs long face creepy yeah push uh kid pushed too far that uh yeah took some pretty Snapped. serious action yeah I know I had seen this guy in other stuff. And so when I brought up his filmography here, he is in the it movies. Um, Oh, really? He he is shit. uh, He's Eric Hostetter who in the book is like of that very disturbing, like, um, uh, sociopath in the book like the one that like keeps the animals in the refrigerator but in the movies he's like that greaser kid that uh dies in the he's looking for he's part of the gang that's looking for right but that's who it's the same guy that's funny so two Stephen king adaptations and successful ones i would argue oh Um, yeah 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 uh so that's cool. And what's so funny? I love actually seeing these people done up as as actors and actresses because they yeah. just look so different. As you know, he looks like a very charming young man when you see him. Like, uh, but he plays that character, that Harold Lauder character, like so fucking well. It's outrageous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, it it it's like you know that they are doing a good job if you don't like them. If you genuinely yep. are like. I don't like seeing you. I don't like you at all when you're on the screen. Like, you know, they're a good care. Like they're doing a good job and he nailed it, man. I just made me uncomfortable. That fucking Tom Cruise shit, man. That was a nice addition that, uh, that it just shows like he's practicing being human. You know, like it's, he, he knows that he is not a part of these people and. uh, Yep. Awful. Yeah, it totally resonates with me. Like just to think about an actor that you didn't like because of something that they played in. Emily Blunt and Bradley Cooper were both actors that every time I would like see their names or their faces, I'd be like, "Oh, they're such horrible people," because they played characters that were mean and were really good at playing those characters. (laughs) Uh, Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck's and yeah, he's in that. That's another one. Like you're, you are really good at playing an asshole. 
the first like three movies I saw him in, he was he played a high school asshole or like a, right. a like a <laughs> you know, and I'm just like fuck that guy, right. I fucking can't stand him because he played that character really well. Yeah. Uh, yep. The, the, to just tease a future conversation because I know we don't have time for it now, but uh, the guy that plays Homelander in The Boys is another like an, another <sighs> character that it, it, he's so good at playing that character that you fucking can't stand him. If I saw can't him just as him. himself outside of that show, I'd be like, fuck that guy. It, and it's, right, yeah. <laughs> because of how good he plays that character and just does it and sells it so well. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I can honestly say like the, just the people, I, I know I've already said it, but the cast of this like 2020 telling of the stand is just so I, we haven't even gotten yeah. to the, like the good ones, but like, yeah, even, even Amber turd is like <laughs> yeah. good as, yeah. as Nadine Cross, you know? So. And on the first, I don't know if you know, you remember this, but the first episode she was in, you were like a fucking course. She's playing this character. <laughs> I, of course she's yeah. Nadine. Like, of course. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know what that means. He's like, you don't need to know what it means right now, but you'll get it. Like yeah. we'll yeah. get there. <laughs> and you were totally right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, for anybody following the Johnny Depp slander like drama that all happened, I depending on which side of the story you want to follow. <laughs> but I, my favorite part of the all of it is there's some story that came out that she apparently, in a fit of rage, pooped in the bed, and after that incident. Johnny Depp only referred to her as Amber Turd. And I thought that was ab- <laughs> whether true or not, that is just pure genius to me. So I, I, I cannot refer to her to anything other than Amber Turd. What I just picture him too with is like, he is a guy that, whose career I followed like from, you know, I think in 1990, at least our episode 90. So I think about things that came out. And actually, even the version of The Stand that ultimately was Stephen King's final published one was published in 1990. But the Johnny Depp of like 1990, he was so cool for so long and he was in such like bizarre little movies. And then eventually he became, you know, such a mainstream like Disney property with the pirates movies and stuff. But nowadays it just has not aged super well in the last like 10 years. So I picture him a certain way that's just kind of sad, you know, yeah. I guess that's like so shitty of me to say in a way, but like anyway, even so like picturing that Johnny Depp, like calling her Amber Turd adds just a level of kind of greatness or sort of delight to the whole thing where he's just like, like yeah, it, dressed all like that Keith Richards, is... like and Pepe Le Pew, just feel like, I don't know, whatever. Amber Turd is just, <laughs> so yeah. To, <laughs> to just call this like, you know, it like at one point in time, it woman of Hollywood, you know, that yeah. he's, he's dating like Amber Turd. Like it's so, it's so juvenile well, and just right. like so 13 year old boy. Yeah. And so that's what makes it so much better. Like, right. So he's talking better, about so. her like pooping in his bed. It's just, like, yeah. <laughs> so wild. yeah. And I mean, it's like, if you know this is going to happen, you just keep your mouth shut. But like, it's as more that's come out about it it's all been negative about her being a horrible human so 
Like, if you didn't want all this stuff to come out about you being a horrible human, just shut your mouth and go away. Instead, you're making <laughs> no, don't, a stink. Don't shit in like, people's beds. That's what you should do. I mean, do. certainly don't do that. Can we start certainly there? Not. Can we start there? Yes, like, don't, like, we definitely how should. About if you don't want people to think you're a horrible person, don't shit in other people's beds. But like, don't be surprised that everybody's going to find out that you're a horrible person after you shit in someone's fucking bed. Of course they're going to find right, out you're right. a horrible person. Look what you just did. Come on. Anyways. That's Good yes, casting. I'm with she, did, she did a fantastic. She was job cast well. She was cast Nadine well. Cross for for well for sure. <laughs> yeah, and so it's interesting because they get that um that dynamic of the back and forth of um not necessarily having things unfold linear linearly, but you do get a little bit of the of the folk of that kind of focusing on a character individually before bringing them into the group you get some of that as well it's just it's just kind yep. of spread out a little bit and so we in those in the that first episode we're introduced to like two of these kind of sets of people and in the second one we're introduced to larry underwood and uh and lloyd mm-hmm. henry and uh and then we did also see randall flag and so um the the plot synopsis for pocket savior the second episode is a. Uh, Musician Larry Underwood is on the cusp of his big break when Captain Trips strikes New York. Wandering alone, he meets an alluring new acquaintance, also desperate to escape, and incarcerated Lloyd Henry comes face-to-face with Randall Flagg. So, um, we're get introduced more of that cast. How did you feel about the, the Larry Underwood uh, casting? Uh, all fantastic. I, I, like... Yeah, I guess we said everybody is good, right? And it's and it's well, it helps avoid some of the like casual racism from the book and from the '90s because like one mm. of the criticisms his mom has mm. is like you sounded black, so they just made him black. Oh, and, you know, uh, I forgot about that. So it do- like you know it kind of dodged some of that a little bit, uh, and he, he did a like did a good job of. I feel like Larry Underwood is the one where he gets like more play in that like falling of the world, like in the pre part of the story, uh, like in the book, Larry Underwood gets a large portion of that. Mm -hmm. And he kind of his importance, not to be minimized, but kind of like tapers off as the book goes on. And uh, so I feel like his character got a little gutted just in that Mm -hmm. sense that you only see the worst parts of him pre captain trips. Right. Right. Yeah. There's that whole thing about his mother calling him a taker and all that stuff. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and I think that his exposition that you get in, in the nineties and in, in the book itself, like you see that it's just, he in its sense is a result of this, like, life of work that he finally is at a point that he feels like he deserves all of these things like you you know and and when you just see him do that one performance and not do it very well and like his mom has that confrontation with his mom like it it definitely paints his character as much worse than i feel like you don't get that internal monologue of of that the 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 that you get in the book right where the benefit of that where you can hear his intentions explicitly so that makes it a little more challenging but then it's like as soon as it happens he you know he kind of owns up to 
trying to get through this as best as possible pretty quickly. Um, and Heather Graham's character is pretty good. Yeah. You know, the, like, and that is more true. Like that. Oh, they, my gosh. They just she's like, very, <laughs> well, they picked all, like unique parts of the book to stay faithful to. Cause like mm. that character doesn't, it only shows motivation for Larry Underwood's character later on when he's like, I was with the, he all in the book and in this miniseries, he cites back to the death of that woman mm-hmm. as like, you know, I thought everything was fine and just assumed everything was fine because I, things were finally getting comfortable. And the second they like, I started to do that, she killed herself. And I don't know what, like, and he like was coming to grips with that. Mm. And yeah, that's really the '90s miniseries. Just they eliminated that character completely altogether. So for yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, for yeah. that, that's where I'm, and it was just good to see Heather Graham again. Yeah, I do agree. I do agree that uh, Heather Graham's character told us more about Larry Underwood than anything, and. I but what I was thinking about the Larry Underwood character was the like for so many people in a ca- a world with Captain Trips everything was awesome and got shitty after Captain Trips came and for Larry Underwood he thought things were awesome because he had wealth and fame but he was not a happy positive good individual he was not a good human and Captain Trip hap- Trips happens, and we get to watch, literally watch him from this famous person, Larry Underwood, to on his knees in the pool as the water is rising, and he's holding uh, Ray's hand, I think her name is Ray. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> he's saying the prayer. He's saying the prayer to her, and they're like, "What? I, I forget what it is that they're saying, but they're... Repeat, uh, yeah, yeah, I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. And he's holding on to her hands, and they're like, it's showing his humanity, like from one end of the spectrum, like you get to watch him evolve as a character and as a human being and go from this, like, I'm selfish and living for myself to I shall walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I, I will fear no evil. And, and believing in something bigger than himself. Yeah, the example of his yeah. courage in that moment helps bring down Randall Flagg's whole shit. <laughs> That's such yeah. a great observation and a great, I'm sure, what they in, must have intended. They use the, it's interesting because I've, I've not explored is, any internet yeah. buzz about this, but to, so I know there's a lot of criticism that this, about the how this may or may not be faithful to the book. And I'm, I'm very fascinated by that. I mean, I'm a dude that um, adapted a book of sorts and spent a lot of time in the whole uh, blah, blah, blah. So I've got a lot of interest in that sort of thing. But to me, this this series feels super faithful to the book. It, it It's all of the things that I remember. Um, and uh, mm. so I did, I actually forgot. And so it's uh, that's kind of interesting too. So it's like partially I remember them because this is what is included. So this is reminding me of the book. And so the things not included, I'm not reminded of, but also having the experience of going back through our previous podcast conversations of before this was a thing before this was even a, an announced project, you know, in like 2017 Palmer, you suggest like this would be a great TV series (laughs) to spend the (laughs) necessary time on it. 
Um, all of the things we're talking about, all the things that stuck with me as we actually had even less time than this to talk about the book of the stand were the same things. I didn't talk about or remember any of the government stuff. In fact, I, I mentioned pretty openly how much I felt I forgot about all of the many things that happened in this book. But the things that I remember and, and mentioned in the, that podcast that stuck with me are the kind of um, interpersonal payoff type things that I didn't articulate as well as you did, Ash, about like some of the character arcs. But those are the things that they retain for the series. And maybe for that reason, the series feels super faithful to me. Uh, and feels mm. so much like the book that that's why I was also reticent to like revisit the Stan miniseries from the 90s as I was like, yeah. I really liked this new adaptation and want it to stay alive in my in my memory. And, yeah. and that might be why I liked this one so much is because it pulled at my heartstrings because it made those characters feel so much more authentic to me and their trials and tribulations were real and... I could empathize and like, yeah. Yeah. yeah and ef effectively developed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A little really Easter egg it. thing about Larry Underwood. Um, so the initial uh, epigraph, one of the epigraphs for the stand book is a, is a, is a verse from Bruce Springsteen's song, jungle land. Uh, even the, the title comes from it. Um, the, to make their stand and all this. Um, and and in some of the we talked about in the previous episodes and stuff, Stephen King, who is a Springsteen fan, was it was like talking about some folks would speculate that maybe Springsteen would be a good Larry Underwood, and he's like, yeah, based on some of the his music video work, I I could definitely see that. So um, I forgot about some of that. And one of my notes when watching it this time is like when we first see Larry Underwood with his uh his leather jacket and his hat, um, he's very much dressed up in this show like Springsteen's look from the jungle end period from the born to run. Like if you look at pictures from spring, he doesn't have the yeah. ball on top of his hat, but otherwise it's perfect. The beard, the jacket, the whole deal. So it's a, it's a fun little, oh, again, like little Easter egg. Awesome. Um, yeah. But yeah, I really that's liked really him. I really rooted for him. Um, I really, I've always liked Heather Graham for <laughs> cosmetic reasons. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever but it was nice to see her as that kind of um as that character and to me too she see like what uh, fran goldsmith seems a little bit to me like a kind of she looked a little like heather graham to me <laughs> and i don't yeah. know if that was at all intentional because that they don't really those things don't cross over a lot but so also so the lloyd character we see this kind of low low level criminal who's very easily led by someone like poke uh, the the guy they're robbing a um a convenience store mm -hmm. and then it lands Lloyd in prison. But you also see in that dynamic how Lloyd can be susceptible to um to a kind of a strong authoritative person saying yeah. like you're you're worthy of my attention, Lloyd, etc. And and the most authoritarian uh big bad of the uh, whole series, Randall Flagg, comes and rescues him in jail after Captain Tripp's at the end of this episode. Palmer, how did you feel about um, Alexander Skarsgård as Randall Flagg in this characterization? Um, so I was fully on board for it uh, while we were going through the show. I thought it was pretty well done. Uh, but I told Ash last night when uh, we were watching, or two nights ago when we were working on the 90s version of The Stand, I really liked that version of Randall Flagg. 
a lot. Oh, me too. I, I, I think it is much more effective uh, as, as Randall Flagg. That guy just in the 90s, I got to look him up. Yeah, you look him up. I'll, I'll just remind again. So I'd encourage folks who are Stan fans, if they're listening to this, check out episodes 12 and 15 of our our podcast. And I'll try not to repeat too much of that. But I did say in those episodes that, and I don't know that guy's name either. And I never Jamie saw Sheridan this. Is, yeah, is that's who, how I pictured him is, as, as closely yeah. and as sort of amorphously as I pictured Randall Flagg reading the book. That guy seemed like what I imagined. And so it's really cool for me to hear like that you're like, you know, <laughs> all's great with the Skarsgård, but in Skarsgård for me was different. I, so essentially I feel the same way. I liked that other 90s yeah. one. What did I guess work about it for this or what I think is interesting or effective is that if you're thinking of this as like a charismatic, I'm not sure how charismatic that guy was. To where he was right. a great sort of manifestation of that like dark man kind of evil thing evil with spirit. the big mullet. Yeah. He w- he it's was easy. evil from the first frame. Like the yeah. first his first time you see him, you know he's evil. Yes. And Skarsgård like really played this character low key, and until that evil came through, like there were like three or four big scenes where he just couldn't contain himself, and that. It may because he played the rest of the characters so subdued, like just soft spoken and quiet and logical and no sense of malice or or, um, mental instability on the background. So that when those moments that he did let that out, it made it even more intense in contrasting to who he was before. That guy in the 90s, man, he played that intimidating 100% the entire time. You knew you weren't dealing mm. with it. And that's when he's recruiting and going around like he recruits that. The scene, I also like Lloyd better from the mm-hmm. 90s too than oh, I do. In the, was that, like, who was that? Was that Miguel Ferreira? Or, uh, uh, I yeah, don't know his name. Yeah. I think well, that's it. While you're, while you're looking that up, I, the, yeah, what I thought was really effective about Skarsgård, even so, I didn't prefer it, but it made sense that like you as a as a Lloyd as a whatever would follow him because he's like because he's appealing, like he's gorgeous yeah. and he's not threatening and he's really like kind of lulls you in with this with his mm. charisma. Whereas the other guy, yeah, you see him and you're like, oh. If, 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 you, if you have a spidey sense, it should just go off like crazy. <laughs> like, it, don't go and, with this and guy. So it, it is Miguel Ferreira, uh, first off, plays Lloyd in the 90s. And that, so what's funny is, is that the, both of these scenes are, are, are definitely, we went through the 90s. As far as we got through the 90s, we got through this to this scene too. And so I'm just contrasting both of them in my brain. And there is a definite moment when the 90s Lloyd pauses and, and like, knows he's selling his soul. Like, ah. and, so he's, you know, he's got his stone because that's the key, right? And, like, yeah. and in the book, he gives all of them that stone that has his mark on it. And uh, Miguel Ferreira asks him, he's like, is that mine? He's like, yep. And all you got to do is take it. And, 
and that like and then that's the like Faustian bargain that he's making yeah. right and like he's like oh, man uh, you can see the pause I, I I like both of those characters better uh in the 90s version and the mm. the, the Lloyd from the 90s just because he is so they play the character pretty similar on what gets them into jail, right? Mm-hmm. But after he makes that deal with after he makes that deal with Flag, Miguel Ferreira plays himself as like a straight man. Like he's got a suit on, he's very suave. Like I feel like he's like, I have the power now to be who I really want to be, and I'm gonna be this like sophisticated criminal you know uh, yeah. and the the one from the 20s it was a caricature of that it, it, maybe again like it's proof that the acting was so good that i just like i was just annoyed with it it was like you're just an obnoxious kid you know <laughs> like that just it it it, it and again it, he's playing that character very well um it i don't know it's it's hard because what ultimately the the 2020 version of Vegas and what happens there is very, I think, effective. Like oh. having the the Coliseum style fights in the you know every day and uh, all these pictures of flag on video screens, essentially saying "I'm watching you," mm-hmm. you know, and like that's the eye of flag, right? Like where. In the in in the book, it was like the, it was an actual eye was his symbol, you know. Oh, like, see, I didn't remember that. But uh, so, it, it, uh, which it's really the sign for the Crimson King, who Flag works for. Uh, oh, for the Dark Tower. <laughs> well, Dark Tower. Thing. So, so long story short, I like the '90s version of Flag. I think that guy did a much better, I effective. I, I shouldn't say better. It was a much more effective effective interpretation of the character. It, it, with all due respect to Skarsgård, like I think he did that character very well. But it reminded me a lot of if you've ever seen uh, any of the show True Blood. On, I never did HBO. see that. Mm. He's in that though, right? Uh, no, no. Yeah, he it. plays like the. Uh, one of the main characters, ultimately, who is a, a vampire that's been around forever, and it's he plays that character very similar. Mm. Like they're so maybe that was part of the reason also why I was having trouble suspending disbelief is just because I felt like it was. I think that character's name is Eric, and I just mm. he was that character being Randall Flag basically. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's like I, I could see what they were going for, but like you, I kind of pre- preferred that other thing. I, I'm not sure what I would have rather they did or what would be effective as effective as some of these other characters were updated, but it seemed odd and anachronistic, his whole kind of Canadian tuxedo and the tall pompadour. Um, it was nice to have that little smiley pin, you know, from the 70s or whatever, but uh, it was also a little weird, I guess. It didn't quite always work. Ash, are you making yeah. notes? I, I wanted. Uh, I wrote. I wrote a couple things down because I was thinking about it while you guys were talking. So, I saw the and and this is more in retrospect now, thinking back on the original, and this is how I know that my my awareness and appreciation for good movies and TV has expanded because I'm like, oh man, I would go back and watch this just to see if like what I'm confirming or what I'm thinking is actually what's happening in the show. But so it's obviously a story that has sucked me in. Um, 
introducing the characters is telling us if they're leaders or followers. So when we meet, oh, yeah. when we meet a character, we very quickly are able to form and decide if they're going to be leaders in this new world or if they're going to be followers. And this is not absolutely true with everybody, but the leaders are going to go towards Boulder and be with Mother A, and the followers are probably going to want to line up with Randall Flagg because he's got protection and is offering them things that are more useful to them in the time, like Lloyd. He gets Lloyd when he's at a very vulnerable position. He's hungry. He's trapped in this prison, and and um, Randall Flagg's offering him an out and yeah. giving him the chance to trade with and for him where he's sitting maybe it's more valuable to trade than to to keep what he has and take the risk of not getting what Randall Flagg has to offer um i think Randall Flagg is super creepy and manipulative and i really liked his character in this one better than the last guy and i think that's just because of the connection that i had to this to the new mini series like to the CBS version and i like it yeah. um but i said we very we, we first know the, the very depths or begin to understand the depths of his manipulation capabilities and how skilled he is at saying something to someone or actually like like with his powers manipulating them into believing that he is right or or telling them the true thing. So we very quickly know that about him, but we also really quickly are learning how fragile his ego is and how insecure mm. he is because you see when he... It, it, I think it happens before this, but I just remember him being in Vegas and elevating above the crowd or whatever. And I think you brought this up, babe, like that he, as his, he starts to, to, to lower or he starts to shake or something because the crowd is like, what happens? Do you remember, am I, am, do you remember what I'm talking about? It's toward, it might be towards the end, but it's, there's it's a couple the, different it's times. It's the scene in the pool with Larry, I think, right? Where they're... Oh, yeah, maybe. Like he, he's not able that to... Might be his it. powers are all based on their fear of him. And, right. And as that starts to wane and slip, and they realize that he's not... That maybe this powerful thing that we are giving him credit for, he literally stops becoming that powerful. So, yeah, uh, I... In that, that also too is like just knowing that Randall Flagg—he is a recurring baddie that kind of lives in Stephen King's universe that just makes his way in and out of various books. And I—I I, maybe I'm misinterpreting the character, but his ego is just not that fragile. It's like uh, he, I see. No, you know, okay. In the, I would say in the series like, they really play to that. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but that's interesting to know in the bigger scheme. Well, because then I think about the very, very end when he goes to that island of people who have never heard of him and don't know who he is. Yeah. Why does he do that? He well, demands they worship in him. In my <laughs> mind, he does that because he needs to feel powerful and important. And the world that he just got destroyed in is not going to work for what he needs it to. And so he's going to come to these people who have never heard of him because immediately he blows up a couple heads and now he is their worship me and he elevates yeah. above them he, as he literally worship shouts them. worship yeah. me so that's <laughs> where right. i get the like his ego is fragile and that that's why that's why where i know I, I i agree that this show it his ego is fragile knowing randall flag as a character in the larger ah. universe it is it is difficult if you know that to know yeah because any other time he could give two shits what people think about him. He has his own ulterior mm. motives that he is 
he is and his working source of power doesn't come that, from that and that yep and that's really all that matters and so uh to have seen it been so basal like that that like i just need people to worship me and that's like mm. and if they and if they start to poke holes in my stuff i'm gonna overreact and be a baby about it is mm-hmm. he does that in this book in, in the book like when Nadine kills herself. He really has an emotional breakdown at all levels. And that does kind of chip away at this exterior shell that he has built because maybe he did actually have some feelings for her, even though, mm-hmm. but it really his, you know, the idea of having that kid that was in her stomach that mm-hmm. was more appealing to him. So, yeah, uh, I, it, it, that would be my only complaint. And he's just so pretty. Uh, I, I I like the mullet wearing like the 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 Canadian tuxedo and yeah. buttons and all that shit works so much better on that like the nineties version. Yeah. Of Not if you're looking for somebody to manipulate your audience like to I think uh, I think Skarsgård is just pretty enough to like yeah he's the to listen to because he's so easy to look at he draws you in yeah. he's good at the manipulation yeah. yeah I get why I mean I get the nineties the nineties version of this character. I understand that for, for that version of the miniseries. I think for this one, it, it works though. Yeah. I love what you say about the, the shows you whether they're leader leaders or followers and the dichotomy. Cause that ultimately people do follow mother a as well, but it, it's the thing about with flag in the dark man, he obfuscates things. He feeds off of fear and he, and, uh, and finds people with, to exploit people's weakness to his own ends. Whereas mother Abigail sort of it's, it's that whole idea of she's the light and uh, she sort of guides. She sort of more inspires people and uh, right. rather than intimidates them and brings out following sort of mother their, a doesn't mean you're a follower following mother a means you're going to stand and be true. Yeah. Yeah. Which where, is you know, where following Randall flag like, I, I don't see, I mean, yes, you're following Mother A, but you're still saying that I want to be a leader, I want to be contributing, I want to be helping, I want to do something to make this new world a better place, whereas I see people who are following Randall Flagg as, like, they're, they're following, they're sheep, they're blind, they don't, they, they just want to do what is in the best interest of the goose, that'll be good for them <laughs> as the gander. Yeah. Does that make yeah. sense? I th- oh, yeah, I think so. That really does seem how they build it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, well, k- to keep charging ahead, I, re- yeah, I really like that. Mm-hmm. What you were, what you were saying about that in the, in the next, uh, episode. Oh, three blank. Pa- uh, so mother Abigail selects a surprising voice to be her conduit to, uh, her chosen committee in Boulder, Nick Andros and the arrival of a disturbing visitor to the Boulder free zone shakes the resident to their core Nate, I'm not sure who that is, but Nadine Cross is haunted by a childhood memory. Um, oh, I, these are just, we don't need to talk about these, but I just want to throw them out there. It's kind of fun things from the episode we just moved past. I love when in, in the sewer that they're actually the update of them use Larry Underwood using the GPS to help navigate them in the sewers was a fun yep. update. And the little, little reference, he's like, just pretend we're Ninja Turtles <laughs> was fun. Um, and I think there's a big chunk of that where he just says, fuck, that's the only dialogue. He's just like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and the little Easter egg mm. I feel is an Easter egg when we're introduced to Heather Graham, they, they play that 
song like i got a new pair of roller skates blah 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 oh, and yeah. it's, it's roller girl <laughs> yeah, roller girl, yeah. Uh, but okay so nick andros um uh i like this nick andros in fact he like i i don't know well, i think he was rob Lowe in the 94 miniseries i yep. don't remember how mm-hmm. i might have pictured him in the book but this guy uh definitely oh and the whole thing where i have this note so he's like we we, sh- we see him he's a he's a deaf guy who doesn't know he offended someone in a bar and then the guy just like literally beats him so bad that he goes blind in one eye that stuff is so hard to take i remember the pride was there's so much of that in stephen king books like we see it with harold too where it's like he's just bullied terribly and beaten up in that first episode and then pride was like man i really wish stephen king didn't do this kind of thing so often it's tough to take but it definitely like in, i totally sort of agree engender some uh, sympathies but then i have this note that when nick andrews comes back uh, he encounters like that same asshole who kicked out his eye and he cares for him somehow. I can't remember the specifics, but that's They're just in the, the hospital kind of... together. Like he, uh, when he comes to you in the hospital, that guy is dying from the from flu. Captain trips. And, yeah. And, and it does. So... It sets up like, this is who this guy is. This guy blinded him yeah. brutally. And the kind of person Nick Andrews is, and we see as a character is that he'll care for this guy as opposed to yeah. being vengeful toward him. And of course we meet, Oh, I don't even know if I could say it because this guy breaks me up throughout this whole episode, the whole series. M-O-O-N. Oh, this Tom Cullen, man. Brad William Henke is just, I can't even fucking take it. Like He's the heart of the show. I think that I saw the actor say it. And um, this like maybe the best thing for me about this whole like version of it was this version of Tom Cullen was, Yep, I agree. So uh, it, it is one of those... I, I would just grin ear to ear anytime he would be on the screen, even when he's like yeah. in New Vegas, just like lazily like hauling dead bodies, you know, and <laughs> yeah. just like you're still just like, oh, Tom Cullen, get out of there. What are you doing there? You know? Uh, Palmer, I, you introduced uh, me to the Tom Cullen like characterization this time. You kind of did the rap that he does. Uh, would you uh, grace us to that? I love it so much. I don't even know if I can remember all because he encounters Nick Andrews somehow. So Nick Andrews is kind of, you know, he's blind and or sorry, he's deaf and then he's almost blind. So he's got these kind of um, impairments, so quote unquote. Oh, and then he heart, encounters man. Tom Cullen. Yeah. What in the hospital? Maybe yeah. And Tom Cullen, yeah, like Tom Cullen, just like wanders into the hospital one day. Yeah, and he's just like, "Hi, my name is Tom Cullen. I am mentally challenged." Yeah, I am. It, it, he just goes through this whole long litany list, and he in the jo- the gag is like, they, you know, Nick trying to communicate, I can't speak or hear, and Tom Cullen trying to communicate that he's mentally challenged and has might have be have some trouble communicating with you. <laughs> uh, it's just it it, it works. It, it it's a great little it's gag, endearing. and it is very endearing. Yeah. And he is just, he's so beautiful. He, he just, his beauty and his ability to just see the happiness in this world that he's stuck in is uh, awesome. And when he finally sees Mother Abigail, like that whole scene is fantastic. 
Um, I think when they like go into uh, Hemingford home, which is an old person's retirement home in this version and not a, a town in Nebraska, uh, he goes into his speech. He's like, hi, I'm Tom Cullen. And she cuts him off. She's like, I know, honey. It's so good or something like that. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, yeah. It's so good to see you or something like it's so beautiful. Uh, yeah, yeah, I might I might have to cut to the I'll find the thing in the previous episode where you really like slay me with it. <laughs> the guy they got to play. Their interpretation of Tom Cullen is fucking amazing m-o-o-n guy oh like the, yes like, yes yeah oh fun uh, that, that's exciting <laughs> absolutely stellar and he's just M-O-N. like he's got this monologue that he has memorized and he just like breaks into it any like that's just what he's like hello my name is tom cullen please <laughs> do not be afraid i am large but i am very kind and he like goes oh. through this whole long thing and like <laughs> <laughs> so awesome that sounds and, like great. frustrated because like people like you know he meets nick andros right mm-hmm. who's deaf and he tries to like he says i cannot read but i work hard and so he starts writing and he's like didn't i say that i couldn't read <laughs> it is so hard to remember all that stuff let me just start over hello my name is tom Cull- and it is fuck- <laughs> part of the fun gag of it is that he has to say it from the beginning or he won't remember it all. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. then so part of it is like maybe he doesn't know how to read very well or something like that. And Nick Andrews is communicating through yeah. through writing stuff yeah. down. And he just goes, he's like, oh, but I just told you, oh, okay. I am Tom Cullen. Do not be afraid. Yeah. I am large, but I am. <laughs> it's just. Uh, but he looks after. Endearing. Yeah. He looks yeah. after. Um, he look up. They're a great pair. You know, they kind of fill in each yes. other's gaps, and uh, yeah, they're an important part of of the of the people who start to assemble around Mother Abigail. And of course, Nick ultimately becomes kind of her her right. I mean, kind of her main guy, right? Like, um, sort of like her version of um, who we were just talking about with Lloyd. Like, so if Randall Flagg has Lloyd, Mother Abigail has Nick Andrews. Yeah. Um, yep. And the difference, the thing that I read about the a comparison of this to the um, miniseries was the um, uh, Rob Lowe had a notepad that he would write, communicate through, and this this Nick Andrews had Fran as his interpreter with the sign oh, language. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. That, that made, was cool. That was a difference that made a big, it made a big, I think it made a big, big impact and gave Nick Andrews much more of a voice than he would have had if all we had was the paper and pen. Yeah. yeah. And a better yeah. kind of, he uh, for a deeper than relationship with Fran and it adds a dimension yeah. to her uh, yep. character. And I love too how, I'm remembering that now to where when they're ultimately all gathered in Boulder, and part of that kind of council, um, it was a it was a nice kind of like inclusive thing, a representation type thing as well. That yeah. was very sort of twenty twenty yeah. to where it wasn't heavy handed either. To where, but it was like she would rather than say like this is important to do, like make sure you include um, Nick by. It was all action oriented, and so she mm-hmm. would sign if she knew his back was to thing and to people and couldn't read their lips and stuff. And the way that that was integrated yeah. in a mix, I thought was really cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nick Andrews too was like a big emotional engine um, for me. Uh, yeah. 
Uh, let's see. Oh, and we're introduced to Greg Kinnear in that episode. I really enjoyed uh, yeah. being ca- like that I, casting. I, I and I, I I would put this with the uh, so um, the guy that played my favorite Martian and um, Spicoli's oh, yeah. nemesis in Fast Time. <laughs> Mr. Hand, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Dick. Hand was uh, you dick. <laughs> I cannot work with that young man. That's how he responded <laughs> to that ad lib. Like he went. <laughs> He went to the director and said, I cannot work with that young man. Really? He is not a professional. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Because it wasn't in the script. That was an ad lib. Like, oh, was, I love it. Yeah, I remember yeah. hearing about that, how uh, Sean Penn was Spicoli, like in a method way to where like at yeah. the rap party, he came and introduced them to everybody. Hi, I'm Sean. Because prior to Yeah, that. yeah. And like they called, they, when they, they said when they called to tell him he got the part, he was Spicoli on his already? machine. Like <laughs> he had already like that's how much he had sold himself like at, like as method uh, for this character. So uh, uh, that's a nice little side there. That's but, beautiful. No, Greg Kinnear just knocked it out of the park as uh, uh, <clears throat> again just fantastic. Casting. I like him a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and, I got my Glenn Bateman going today with the sweater and stuff because I saw yeah. I was, this is how I was dressed to sleep and then I was watching the recaps and I was just like, I have a weird thing. I, I don't know if I said it on this show, but like I will often joke to the bride as like, as, as I just want to see myself older, like dressed like Kevin Costner's dad and the bodyguard when they go to that cabin, <laughs> which even I don't have a clear picture of in my mind anymore. But it basically is also dressing like Glenn Bateman in this version of the TV show. That really played to some things I like to see. Maybe I don't know. I don't think I can do those scarves. That's a that's taking it a little too far for me. (laughs) Yeah, I uh, I I mean he did a great job of uh, you know that character is supposed to be the like the voice of do we need to get back. To what we were the way before. things were right do we really need yeah. to rebuild like they're moving towards in uh, in Colorado and uh, and I think that's a, an important voice for this story you yeah. know is like we're, we're losing like are we losing sight of what we're doing here if all we're trying to do is get back to the way things were before we have such an opportunity to make things different right now and how many of those opportunities do we get to do to do that so mm-hmm. uh and you know greg kinnear just really hit it out of the park on on the those aspects of that character um yeah i like it yeah i see i yeah, see I where or like we're kind of i'm falling i'm letting i'm letting us fall prey to maybe take too long on certain things and so i'm gonna interject and maybe move away from the episode by episode to uh yeah. to give the bride's take on all this uh Ooh, at the end right. of it which i think she mostly liked it but she wasn't as into it as maybe i was or would have liked her to be um so off first start off saying i think she like generally enjoyed it but my note here was like tr- she was probably trying to bite her tongue I, no i think she tried when i was like what'd you think of it i think she Tried to bite her tongue three times before responding because I'm probably like tearful when I'm asking her like, "What do you think?" She's like, "It was a lot of book for not a lot of plot." <laughs> she goes, mm-hmm. "She goes." Um, so this is basically just to to say for everyone, here's what the general story is. So now that we can maybe just talk about some things that resonated for us, she goes, uh, "Um, 
we we uh we found the guy we all went west we killed the guy it's basically lord of the rings but with the devil <laughs> that's that's what happens they all got good and good and evil people make these big journeys and then there's a big stand of good a good against evil and and for our purposes and those who've never seen the, the mm. show or just basically trying to loosely follow along you got mother abigail and then go to and, and the and the folks in, in boulder as the kind of trying to maybe rebuild society and then you got on the other side of the or not on the other side but further west in in las vegas i think that's right directionally um you got randall flag basically creating this society of just hedonism and people that are gravitating towards him and and wanting to uh just kind of do whatever they want and he encourages that except for he does sort of maintain a sort of absolute fealty to whatever it is if he asks something you better fucking follow orders you're going to be killed yeah and uh mm-hmm. and then there's this general sense of like the people with brother abigail feeling like they need to kind of confront all this out there and and then even so people are sent kind of as spies and um that's the general stand referred to in the book and so i think rather than maybe move beat by beat so that we're not here all weekend. <laughs> we'll just give that as the backdrop for everything else that uh, that happens. Though, if, well, of course, and, I invite you guys to elaborate, but I I know that it was me holding us to like episode to episode. To the um, to the bride's point, I mean, the the stand was that was King's ambition when he wrote it was to write an American version of Lord of the Rings. So. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, talk about that in our other episodes. So I thought it was cool. So, yeah, yeah <laughs> there was a YouTube nailed video it, we then. watched about it. Yep, earlier. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I'll see if we can. I can find it. Send it to you. Oh yeah, we could put it in the videos <clears> mentioned <throat> on the show, and I would. I, I th- I'm. I would watch it at this point. Uh, and so, there, in episode four too. Not to get too episode by episode. I have notes for episodes that are like. For me, they're barely notes, but there. That's where the Stephen King uh, cameo is. In, uh, in oh, the yeah. Hemingford oh, yeah. home, um, the picture, the po- yeah, po- picture poster, yeah. the poster funny. of the he's old the folks' home, the, yeah. He's one of the people at the table for the advertisement of the old folks' home, which I find absolutely hysterical. Yeah. Very funny. Yeah, because he's not the young man he was in the in the mid seventies when he wrote this. No, <laughs> yes. no, absolutely not. So, um, I thought so. So, like the Hemingford home thing is a is a good example of like. They decided to bring Heather Graham's character back from the book and spend like a good half of that episode. And it, at the same time, it's like, but you cut out home, Hemingford Home being this like place that even Mother Abigail needed to take. So Hemingford Home is a uh, is in Colorado. It's a nursing home in Colorado. In this, so she doesn't have to make a pilgrimage, and uh, that was part of the reason I liked. Well, one of the reasons I felt that like Hemingford home, she needed to bring everybody to her first because she needed assistance in that pilgrimage as well, like to get to Boulder and that helped get them in a good position to, which I find it ironic that they refer to the, the man in the West is how they refer to what's going on in Las Vegas and they're in Colorado. And I picture that, that as being very West too. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, that's why I got a little confused when I said it aloud, but I was like, is that just my general disregard for directions? But so I'm glad to hear you say that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but it, uh, I, that was one of those things where I'm like, it just, just really interesting. The choices that you made that like 
Heather Graham's character is a great example that like they that you know the 90s sitcom introduced they cut out like a they cut that character out and put Nadine Cross in it in in his place and instead of her committing oh. suicide she just leaves one morning because the oh, really? you know, Randall flag commands it yeah and so oh. uh it, I just thought it was interesting that they like made that like, like they decided to cut all of Hemingford home down to just being a nursing home, but still brought Heather Graham's character from the book back into the show and devote like the time they did with that character. So hmm. just interesting choices like that, that I think that if you're the only nice thing of knowing the book is like, you're going to get some of the backstory that they cut out, but the there are going to be some significant deviations from the book i think with this 2021 it, it mm. is a retelling of the same story uh to be fair yeah what what are some of those uh that jump out for you because like i said for me it's like the things i think that i remember about it seemed really faithfully translated with this like one exception of that well thing um is it, but i, I but it sounds like you have a better sort of sense of like, here, here's the similarities. And so while we're so on that topic, what are some other stuff? So, well, the, well not to d discount the well, that's a big one. That last episode is yeah, like, all, pretty yeah. good. And all new, it, right? That's like nowhere. Yeah, Written by Stephen yeah, King. I, mm -hmm. Yep. And, yeah. and that's uh, really the portion of that that's new. So like the Randall Flagg thing of him finding the natives, that's in the book. That yeah, that's how the updated oh, thing ends. Exactly. Yeah, the 1990 Yeah, he wakes update. up after the bomb. He basically has no gap in his memory from the bomb going off to waking up on this beach. That's where those Whoa. natives are. And so, mm. and he just wakes up and is like, well, I just have to try again. And that's why he like goes off to these people. Like he's just anticipating, like uh... just trying again, like where he's always going to be this, e the, the implication is, you can't kill evil. It's always going to be in this world and always yeah. going to be have to be something you have to deal with. Mm -hmm. And uh, But the whole addition of like the new Mother Abigail in that episode and Franny falling down the well and Franny interacting with Randall Flagg, all of that is new and mm -hmm. really I think plays well. I, I think it's uh, I think that is all good stuff. Um, one of the videos we watched really complained about where they were like, so Stu and Franny and their new baby are going to risk everything, their three-month-old baby, to recross the country in this like, like post-apocalyptic world. And they do that in the book, too. That's how the book, like, yeah. Franny gets, like, oh. wants to get back to the ocean. And so mm -hmm. they decide to leave Boulder. Like, their time, they've served their purpose for Boulder. They have mm -hmm. made it safe for the free zone to come back up. So they, they, they feel they would stifle progress because they would continually come back to them to make decisions. And if there was going to be progress made and let new leadership make decisions, they had yeah. to get out of the situation. It's really actually the book does a great job of making that move back to Maine or Algonquin, wherever that is, wherever she was from. Maine. Yeah. Makes yeah it, Maine. You're right. Makes yeah. it so much more noble what they're, what they decide to do. And, uh, Mm. Um, so that's a big change. Um, I, I really just think it's more, not all of them are bad changes. So there's like the trucker who has the women chained up 
and oh yeah he can fr- yeah. He, like harold lauder is like he does a great job of showing how weak harold actually is even with these like misguided notions he has of himself in this mm-hmm. world like it just shows like no you're still just a you know a wuss like this guy yeah gonna when confronted with this kind of violent yeah. guy who's got holding yeah. his women sort of uh, like I don't know, like sexually abusing them, and one of them we Hostage. get to, yeah. yeah, the Dana, what is her name, Dana Jurgens or something, yeah. comes to be a part yeah. of the the larger group. I thought I really liked how they dealt with her, that that character and the trial. Yeah. Like, and she's w- one of the she, people that goes to do that gets sent to Vegas, like yeah. on behalf of of Mother yeah. A. Yeah, I loved yeah. that. That that uh, so like the Dana was one of the women held captive by this guy that as as Harold and Nadine sorry Harold and Franny cross the country um and they're like leaving notes for Stu and eventually um well they're leaving notes for anyone who who else is alive and then ultimately Stu Redman is following those and hooks up and then um Larry Underwood too yeah that's how they all kind of yeah. come together yeah. and started moving towards uh, Mother Abigail but it's like for a while Harold gets uh Franny to himself and kind of the relationship he's he's hoping is burgeoning that he's always wanted but then when Stu Redman enters the picture and it's kind of cool too that uh he Stu the James Marsden is like a little Tom Cruise-esque you know he's like this really handsome guy and then it's like what Harold would like to be and what he sees that uh so he he's very mm. threatened by by Franny's yes. attraction to to Stu, yeah, and Instantly, very, yeah, like it comes yeah. out. Uh, he's like, you go to him and his fucking dimples and all this, and it's like you start to see Franny starts to see too the sort of darkness and possessiveness in Harold. And uh, but anyway, well, so it's there... foreshadowing, foreshadowing of of what is to come. Yeah, like yeah. it starts the it starts the the bitterness and the resentment that just builds over the next however much time is between. Yep. that day and the well, day that the slap in the face for that character is even when he's the last man on earth she still isn't going to choose him. yeah oh jesus yep yes yep. is that put so succinctly in the show or that's you i don't kinda... i don't think so but yeah that's, i mean that's it that's where the resentment that's what the resentment is like yep. he's like he sees that's why he even is so chipper like when he's going to visit her after everybody's dying off is like she has no choice now but to like me mm-hmm. you know like I, right. I am literally the last man on earth that she knows so I'm like this is it and yeah. even in that position she still doesn't choose him it's Ugh. it's just gonna get it it makes yeah. you feel bad for him until yep. you don't right until yeah. you don't yeah uh, and he was feeling kind of full of himself there for a while until they ran into this horrible trucker that that's yep. like whole phys- you know like physically imposing cuz Harold's so smart but he's not really very physically capable and uh and that's part of why he resents Stu as well I think uh, um and anyway so yeah we we get that glimpse with that trucker but you were saying there's a deviation there as well I well, was kind of catching Well I don't think that interaction up. even happens like I don't think that even oh, happens Oh really yeah. Oh, like, I, I remember think... something about I remember something about women being in this because But I don't think Harold is in that altercation and I don't okay. think it's like that Stu saves them. I, I agree with you. I think that might be part of like something. Dana's backstory in the book, like where like Oh, how... so Dana is a part of yeah, yeah. that's what I couldn't yeah. those are things Dana that are kind of sketchy. Cap- yeah. 
Yeah, to where yeah. it's like, I remember that dynamic, but I would have mistaken it so, for having been this way in the book. Okay. Um, I don't, I, I mean, I, though there's just little choices like that, that I feel like are a little different. And, uh, I don't know. I'm sure there, there were plenty of videos when we were doing our research to try to refresh our memory on this, that <clears throat> were very just like, they want to, of course, like focus on all of those differences and be negative about them. And I, I, I want to reiterate as a whole, I really think this thing works as its own thing. Like if you can mm -hmm. nitpick it all day long and it's really hard to compete with 1200 pages of source material, you know, yeah. where yeah. King spends yeah. all of that time getting you emotionally invested in every one of these characters. And like, I mean, there's Lloyd, Lloyd Henry is a great example where there's a whole section when Lloyd is dying in the prison of starvation, mm -hmm. where he remembers back where he's seven and got rabbits. And like, he goes into this whole thing about his relationship with his dad and like how that tied in. And it all boils down that he let these rabbits in the July heat starve to death, like back. Oh, wow. and like he just, he took care of them for like two weeks cause they were like, the novelty was fresh. But as soon as that novelty wore off, he, when he remembered the rabbits, he could not remember the last time he had seen the rabbits. And by the time he went back there, like back behind the garage where the cage was, like they were like maggot infested and dead of starvation. Yeah. Right. And like, and you can't compete with that level of exposition that you right. get with 1200 sure. pages yeah. of course material. So uh, I think it's kind of a low hanging fruit to kind of hang your hat. There's two euphemisms all combined together into one for those of you keeping track on on the fact that I'm going to make all these videos just pointing out all the differences between the show and the book. It's it's told 40 decades like 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 four decades later or you know than when the book came out because it was the mid 70s when the book came out and then it's told 20 years later after the mini, the first adaptation of the miniseries came out like it's gonna it's, it has to be its own thing and just even the level of storytelling like i would say like i would call the first like four episodes very tarantino because there mm -hmm. it is just mm -hmm. it just jumps around in the timeline that style of storytelling has been around forever of course but like it really got as a like visual medium for television and movies like only within the last like 20 years, like yeah. in post the first miniseries, right? So right, right. Um, I I think it's, I think it's important to just stress that if you just take it on its own, it's a really good, it's, it's really good and really worth watching. It fits into content that you might be consuming in this day and age, right? It, it, it works for that. Let it be its own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought, like, they give you kind of the backstory that is necessary to enrich what happens in the kind of general forward movement of the plot. So, like, we get the one character we haven't mentioned too much is the Nadine Cross character, where we do get enough of her backstory that, like, that Randall Flagg was kind of always courting her in some sort of spiritual threatening realm to where... She was, uh, was she like, uh, technically a virgin even still at this, whatever age she yeah, was when she's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, 
like she was no she knew somehow that she was destined for him in this way to have i don't know if it was to have his kid or whatever but there was this kind of a sexual link between them and then again with his manipulative um machinations and stuff so like randall flag gets to harold it's like so ultimately we we kind of are introduced to harold it's almost like he could go either way you know to where he's with friend and and he's with this our group in the free zone and and they're, they're, there's also this kind of dichotomy of like they're kind of forming a democracy and uh mm. kind of certain sort of people governing um themselves and electing uh whereas everything in uh, new vegas is just anarchy and complete fealty to to, to flag and yep. um and flag basically gets to herald and and he does so he finds his sort of weakness as this lonely um kid who's like not able to have the woman he wants but then nadine cross comes into the picture who is you know also beautiful and desirable and that's a big part of her her personality and her experience and then ultimately her power um and he because i think he says at one point in one of the scenes one of the recaps i saw a flag say like I f- i've got the weapon he tells he tells nadine referring to harold you just have to pull his trigger and so then then so oh, they start yeah. this thing where she manipulates him sexually it's basically telling him and i remember this from the book she's like we can do anything you want except this one thing because i'm safe for the dark that man, one that little way. thing yeah yeah and <laughs> so that, so that, so then so that's playing out in uh in boulder even i think when people are sent over as spies right <clears> to <throat> to look at flag mm-hmm. i can't remember and dana jurgens is one of those that's one that's such an imp- exciting s- scene where this this person who's experienced all this trauma that's that one moment i remember too like when she kind of because doesn't she kill that trucker guy her captor kind of savagely uh, and or i think so yeah yes she i think she's this, the one who like, does that yeah bone chilling like cathartic scream oh jesus and but anyway fast forward to like her being a part of the group and all this and when they're trying to kind of so like so Stu, glenn bateman fran larry underwood i think that's all and maybe harold yeah harold too or maybe not are part of that council that that are like kind of making decisions for for the for the free zone and they have like mm-hmm. town hall meetings and stuff where people can yeah. weigh in and, and that's where even harold kind of pitches his thing where he kind of lays his trap and where he flashes that smile that he's learned and uh but anyway, and so he nominates the, he nominates them to be the become the leaders. Yeah, so, to basically he's to keep them all in the in the same space so he yep. can get them all together. Exactly, and by this point, he's working with Nate with Nadine to make that happen. Yep. He's in, in league with the Dark Man, but like, so they're trying to pick who's going to go and be spies, and so it was inspiring, like the people that are volunteering for that. Ultimately, so it's like the judge, who was she? Was the judge? Uh, a female in the book, I can't remember. I feel like no. it wasn't. In, yeah. in the book and the miniseries, I believe, were uh, an elderly black man. Oh, okay. So definitely yeah. in the miniseries was an elderly black man. I can't remember. I know it was a In the miniseries, the they had to recast the elderly black man in the miniseries because he died halfway through. The original person died after like filming, filming only half of it or maybe something like that. Oh. But the person they cast was the real life husband of the woman who played mother Abigail. 
and he oh, got wow. the part. Oh. He got the part because he was in the right place at the right time because it just so happened yeah. that he was an actor visiting his wife playing Mother Abigail on set and had been like they said the the whatever video we were watching was like he got the part because he was around all the time because he was always there because his wife was playing the the role and yeah. um and so that's how he got the part. Right, Ruby D, and then her husband is uh I think it's Ozzy Davis. Yeah, Ozzy Davis. And uh yeah, that's so cool. And they've been in a bunch of stuff together um over yeah. the years and and then like they play Oh, that's so cool. I mean, it's it's a neat uh, that that's how well, it's not neat, but yeah, it's 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 that, a it's a fun fact. Yeah. Nice it's a, it's it one of those out. like Yeah, one of those interesting factoids. Yeah, yeah based uh, on how it worked out for sure. But yeah, so it's uh, that was inspiring how the the Judge Harris is is like is a female here and she's basically volunteering yeah. to go into the lion's den and then Dana Jurgens like lays it out it's like, "So you want me to do this, this and this?" Like all she kind of lays out how now this is a borderline suicide mission. How ridiculous this is! Yeah, yeah, but the way she puts it is like, you want me to do this, this, and this kind of you, you the what you would expect a person to be like. You're out of your fucking mind, like absolutely not. But when she says it all, and like you take her character and what that character has been in stride, and she's like, I'm in, and then you're just like, ah, she's in, and uh, yep. and then Tom Cullen goes out there. Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah, and like the. When he has no so in the book and the '90s miniseries, they hypnotize him to get mm-hmm. him, like to give him all those instructions. Yeah. And in in this one, they just kind of lay it out for him. And when and it works. that scene when he's leaving, and like he's riding his bike around, all happy, and circles around them, and all of them are sad, and you know what he's getting ready to go do and you're just like oh that is gut-wrenching that scene is really hard for me yeah oh yeah oh everything with him is so emotional and i think yeah i forgot about the hypnotism part and then the fact that he he is willing to do it yeah the bravery of all that is is so it's very well cast too yeah the actor who plays him is very well cast yeah yeah and what's interesting too we were talking about like how people's you know previous roles inform you know how you think about them. I'd only ever seen that actor, Brad William Henke, and uh, and me, you, and everyone we know. This little indie film where he plays a kind of questionable character, honestly, like a little bit of creepy. Like there are these very young girls who are exploring their sexuality and wanting to kind of tease him, and he's interested, which is kind of creepy. So anyway, so I had this kind of association with him that wasn't necessarily terrible because he plays a kind of an innocent anyway and Greg Kinnear too like I one of my favorite movies is as good as it gets and I love him in that Mm. film but another one of the bride's favorite movies I really like is Ghost Town in which he plays a real shitty guy (laughs) so I had both of those in my head and I've seen him do both Um, anyway but yeah so the casting of that Tom Cullen it's like I didn't have entirely good associations with him but i think from now <laughs> it'll be hard for me to see it as as anything other than this like really wonderful character and i i think that he carry yeah. like to see the actor himself talk i saw him a little behind the scenes thing today not terribly dissimilar <laughs> you know it's not like he's slow or anything like tom cullen is or faces all the same challenges but 
I don't know. There's you could see of kind of like how this guy informed some of those more cognizant choices in a really yeah. um, strong way. He played uh, um, a character in the adaptation of Choke. Uh, I've never seen that. Which is a Chuck Palahniuk book. Yeah. The same guy that wrote Fight Club, and uh, that's where I had remembered him from when I saw him. He played he played a habitual masturbator. And, <laughs> <laughs> he's the best friend of the main character sure. in Choke, so he's the best friend of um, another guy that I really like. Is that a lot. the what was Sam Rockwell? Or I think it's something else. Sam Rockwell, yeah. Oh, maybe so. I have Sam seen Rockwell it. is the main character, and this guy plays his best friend, who also happens to be like he'll just randomly be standing there, like in the mo- in the movie and the book, where the main character was talking about how he looks over. He's like trying to get advice from his best friend and he looks over and he's just like rubbing one out, just like his hand down his pants. He's like, (laughs) stop doing that. This is serious. Like shit. Like, (laughs) like, sorry, I can't help it. That's his response. Sorry. I can't help it. Uh, So, well, so we've sent everybody, we've gotten up to the point that they're sending spies out to the West and, it's re- like, and really, that is culminating all to the end, because it it goes about yeah. as we would expect, right? Like, each one of those spies are systematically picked off. Uh, the judge, like, is unceremoniously like killed, and they bring uh, why can't it? Dana Jurgis like up all the way to flags, like, because she makes it up into the echelon, right? Oh She's yeah, with Lloyd Henry and. <clears throat> the woman who Nick Andros and Dave Tom Cullen had met on the road. And- yeah. Oh, yeah. Julie Lowry. When I first yep. saw her, mm-hmm. I got to admit, I was like, oh, hello. <laughs> yeah. Something about that type. She's cute, but she's evil. <laughs> she's- exactly. <laughs> dirt- those dirt blondes, dirty blondes, man. They are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, uh, the- it all goes exactly how you would expect, like, Randall Flagg knows exactly who is spying. At least he knows two of them because he really, his whole thing is don't kill them because I need, I I know there's a third one, but I can't see them, meaning Mm. he can't tap into their brain. And we realize that's because of Tom Cullen and his brain is different than everybody else's brain. And so, uh, they, he tells Dana's the first one. She actually successfully stabs him in the neck, right? Like, which is different because in the 90s miniseries. But that doesn't kill him. Still doesn't kill him. And, yeah. and does she commit suicide? Does she, like, jump? Like, I forget how she, wh- she, what she does. Isn't she the one who kills herself with a bottle? Oh, yeah. She oh, breaks yeah. the bottle and then stabs herself in the neck to give him, like, so he's pissed because he, he didn't get, get it out from of her, her. who the yeah. third one is. And so he knows it's the judge and he says, sends Henry out to like with, he's like, you know, you can't kill this one because we need to get, we need her to get who the third one is. And so the, the guys that Lloyd picks are trigger happy and killer. And so that pisses Randall flag off. And there's a couple instances where you think that Tom's going to get found out because he's just, he's poking just a little too close because also, Mother Abigail sends, tells them they have to go, like the that the committee, which is Stu and um, 
all the characters we love, basically, who yeah. are left after are the left, bombing, yeah. like, who go out to uh, to Las Vegas. And it, oh, it there's one new one, right? Ray Bretner, like that. Ray. She's an American Indian woman in this. I don't remember <clears> that from <throat> the book, or am I just not remembering that from the book? Um, I I don't know. I can't remember. How it felt was it was definitely a white in man in the miniseries. Yeah, so it, that felt it different. Have been a white man in the book too. Yeah. yeah, and it was kind yeah. of a there they would do they do I mean it's just a nice thing to kind of kind of spread mm-hmm. things out and have different types of folks, but also a different sort of character. And there's a great beat where they're having this walk because Mother Abigail tells him like you got to go on foot and not all of you're going to make it. Um, and yeah, this plays into my thing too, where some of when some stuff happens later, it's like I actually <laughs> the way that my brain is and stuff and what I retain after a certain age or period in time, it seems. I didn't remember who did and didn't make it for sure. So some of the things where oh. people were in jeopardy, I was like, oh, fuck. Or I was thinking too, like, are they going to change this for TV? Because I wasn't super sure if it was going to be a limited series or continue on. And especially right, right. when we get to the well thing, I was just like, is this the way of like continuing the Anyway, so, but there's a nice beat with that uh, Ray character where... He's, they're walking out there and they're trying to something strategy wise or, you know, needing to understand how something about some something to where her character goes like, oh, so the engine girl is supposed to be close to the earth and help you find water so you don't shit yourselves to death. And then they look at her and she's like, they're like, well, can you? And she's like, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I can do all those things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got you. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so um, that was one one character who I think was new and, and is part of that little group to go out, out west that yes. Mother Abigail yeah. tells them need to go. Yes. And really added a lot of, of those moments, I feel like, to the story. Like she was humorous when she needed to be and like impactful in the way that she was used in the scenes. Yeah, and she ends, yeah. she ends up being the one with Larry like in the pool mm-hmm. as in the, the pool, final yeah. sacrifice we think yeah um and we have the he confronts nadine cross the lloyd kills um glenn bateman uh yeah in the in the judge in in, in the courtroom that 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 was one of the things that struck me the most. I don't remember that as much about the book but that was really where we're starting to see this thing like I have a couple more notes here than I do for probably anything else. So I'll just make a point to talk about it. So making the Glenn Bateman says, making a public display of all those who defy him. That's not strength. This so, so like Glenn and who else? They're all like, they're basically on trial with like what they call that rat woman. And Lloyd Henry is like, and it's almost like a reality TV show, but there is that thing too, where flag wants them alive but this is where we start to get at, you know, they're, so they're all in orange, like jumpsuits, like prisoners. And, uh, and I have this quote here. So all they have to do is renounce the witch and her lies. This is, must be the judge talking like the, the Randall flags judge and pledge allegiance to the one true motherfucking King. Um, uh, uh, Calling their stride, yeah. They keep calling their side the good side, you know. And like they're this whole thing about like these are the bad people, these people in the orange jumpsuits. 
The court is convened under the authority of Randall Flagg, the great yeah. purveyor of justice in the world. The, the greatest purveyor of justice the world has ever known is what the judge says. It's and then, very, uh, uh, yes, this, I think you see where I'm, where I'm going with this. <laughs> it felt very 2020. <laughs> well, there was a, I, I feel like, cause you've brought up a couple times too, like the diversity that's happening with like the mother Abigail side. And I felt like there was a definite overt vein of racism with Randall Fra flags group of people. Like they were, not as diverse uh, and oh like I very agree. very I white yeah. I agree. very uh i did i i mean i know we're getting towards like the he who shall not be named uh, yeah <laughs> but they even like there's a couple maga hat like i saw maga hats that's what that i thought in that group it, yeah like yeah, it didn't say it and, but it was uh, red and everything right yeah, yeah, like all of that, and it, and I think it was a direct call out to some of this stuff that yeah. has happened recently in our past. Yep. And, uh you, you can see Glenn getting to them as he's as he's trying to basically say like, "You guys are being mind fucked. You're being hoodwinked by this guy." And the last thing he yeah. says before Lloyd shoots him because they're like, because they the judge and Lloyd. The, they're they're noticing that as Glenn is speaking up and kind of saying so, some of these things that the people that have been mm -hmm. loyal ad loyally adherent to Flag are starting to question like oh man this guy's making a little bit of sense or what if this is true what he's saying um, and and the judge and the old Lloyd they're like no we got to shut this shit down but we can't kill him we can't kill him and then Glenn goes without your ad oh man sorry. <laughs> without your adulation he's nothing and then lloyd shoots him in the head because he's like oh fuck they're gonna he's gonna find out i gotta stop this and he kills him and of course that's lloyd's undoing too because so that's like yep. all of this like thing that that randall flag has built out of fear and deception when yeah. they're be, when it's being exposed he's not able to fucking levitate like it is all this thing it's what glenn says yep. and it's basically if yep. you if you see this guy for what he's really doing and the ways in which he's trying to deceive you for his own ends, like if you just let that all go, he loses his power, and uh, yep. and he's and he's killed for that. But like, it's 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 powerful, and it's the kind of it's what I always wanted to. This is spoilers for Walking Dead. It's what I always wanted to happen with the Negan storyline, <laughs> based on this. I just wanted them to be like expose them, and for the the people to kind of realize. We don't have to adhere to this shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm. And it is this ultimate sort of good and evil that the, that the good in people will win out. Um, and we do kind of see that here. It doesn't happen in the Negan storyline. But, <laughs> but anyway, so I was really moved yeah. by all of that. And it, um, it does all happen in like the 70s book, but it did have a particular resonance last year. <laughs> and even still. Yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I really like the way it it just wrapped up that whole story and it, the one thing that is telling is like you know it all comes down the same way trash can man is what ultimately is the undoing on that because he brings the atomic bomb mm -hmm. in and then the hand of God yeah. comes down and, and sets it off basically and uh 
<laughs> one 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 video commentary that we watched was basically like, yeah, and all that redemption that we see happening across New Vegas doesn't mean anything because they all die anyways. And uh, <laughs> yeah. like all those people who are like deciding, but the whole point of them, it's not, it's not a matter of them realizing what they're doing was wrong and then getting to live about that. They're still going to have consequences about the choices that they made. The problem, but what they did was because of them realizing what they were doing was wrong, that took the power away from flag and let that problem come yeah. in. And yeah. Physically. You, you learn that, uh, you learn that just like he couldn't see Tom Cullen, he couldn't read trash can man all the way and know uh, that, that, yeah. like, that, that trash can man mm. was coming back. Uh, I just would have liked to see more of that trash can man. Like the way they let the story of that character spin out in the nineties miniseries. I think that I would have liked to have that character have gotten that same level of uh, freedom or or length of exposure, just because this was a good take on that character. I, uh, Mm. when he sets that bomb off and he's like in the straps and naked and, (laughs) Off. <laughs> rubbing one out and like uh that screechiness and just like uh, all of that stuff it's like you know again it's played so well because you despise him you, you know you're creeped yeah. out by him so yeah it's true well uh, i guess the one story beat we maybe left out was the 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 that uh nadine does come out there to uh las vegas and she gets pregnant with flag's kid and basically like as and she it's, it that's where it takes a real turn for me too to where she looks like Coraline or something like there's a real like the the, real the reality real and the reality of the whole thing starts to yeah because a lot of it's just like human drama but then you get out there and he's like levitating and she's she looks so heavily made up and then there's the lightning thing and all that so I just kind of had to accept that but so like yeah. as she's she looks like the bride of death, essentially, you know, phys- physically. Yep. And then as she's trying to have, as she's going into labor, like she knows something's wrong. She starts to sense that maybe she, that she has been, that this is not going to end well. <laughs> like whatever she's giving birth to is not good for anyone, <laughs> including her. And she throws herself out the window and flag is pissed about that. Um, and then, so also, uh, yeah, Lloyd, but before she leaves Colorado, Lloyd and her like have gathered everyone and, uh, and tried to blow them all up. And a lot of people do die, including Nick Andrews and stuff. Um, and, but anyway, so the Dean's gone, everything's like coming to a head in, in Las, in Las Vegas, but it, it is start that, that, that turn that Palmer mentions, we've kind of danced around, but just for people who never watch it, like, you know, we, Glenn's killed in the, in the courtroom Larry and Ray are brought to the to the sort of pool where the where people are made to fight to the death, etc. And uh, um, they just start repeating the prayer, like I will, you know. Uh, I think it's that, you know, whatever. I can't no, remember. I walk through the valley of shadow of death. I'll, I'll fear no death. evil. And they keep saying that until the people, like just like in the courtroom, it kind of catches on, and then the 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 crowd that's meant to gather to watch them die also starts to say, "I will fear." no evil in unison and that's what like truly strips uh flag of his supernatural power and and then yeah. and then the lightning happens and all and the trash can man comes and everything fucking blows up and Stu is out in the in the student make it to vegas because he fell down and broke his leg and he's in a canyon 
which I think is what yep. saves him from that sort of atomic blast is that yep. he's in that canyon. And that's when he, when he was there and like Glenn leaves him and he gives him the pills and stuff. And he's like, if you take three of these, it might be fatal. You get, you get me East Texas, like the pain medication. That's where I couldn't remember. I'm like, I can't remember if Stu survives this. <laughs> like, I can't remember if yeah. he does, if that's just it for him. Because Mother Abigail well, says you won't all come set back. up. Yeah, you have, I had no idea. I mean, obviously I had never seen the original, so I didn't know what was coming. But I truly had, was believing going into that last episode that that was the end of Stu, that that was yeah. it. Yep. So I, I really yeah. love the way that they, that they tie those character arcs together and bring to bring tom. Uh, tom back together yes my heart is yeah. beating and i was like someone take us through it with when tom and, and tom cullen <laughs> like and 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 tom cullen did exactly like he remembered everything he was supposed to do if there you know if there's more than one you gotta have to you run if there's only one you have to kill him and you have to and he hid himself under bodies and like got out of the city he could read the writing on the wall and got out of the city and all that and then to find so cujo like uh, Kojak, 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 Kojak. Yeah. Then to find Kojak, <laughs> Kojak, different, different, <laughs> different dog, Stevie no, King, still, well. different dog. Yeah. But for Koj but for Kojak to find him and like for them then to help get back, to it just yeah, it was very beautiful. Yeah, how that all. And that's a moving. that's a in in the book that's a because they do that over the winter, like they're like traveling oh. back to Colorado over the winter, and so it's him and Tom Cullen, basically for like two months like the last two months of Fran's pregnancy because they come back on just like in this they're they arrive back on the night that she's giving well no she already has the baby when they get she back. has right, the baby when right, they come back yeah. in the movie in the but they're, yeah, the they CBS. come back like on the like the evening that Fran goes into labor is uh, um, I, I think that's right I, maybe that not. does maybe. kind of feel right uh, yeah I'm not I'm not sure but it, it, that story is much more is much longer in the book of that time of them together in his mm -hmm. leg healing. And, and really that's what it is. They're hunkering down for the winter long enough for his leg to mend so that they can Got ride it. bikes back Oh, and, and, and like make the journey back. So, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> um, it's just so beautiful though, how it's done. Cause like he just comes down through there and like saves the red the mist. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. I don't know, maybe cool. like we didn't know what happened to Tom either. I, I can't remember. Like I was surprised to see him and surprised for Stu to survive basically when those things happened. One thing I remember yeah. about the miniseries is that that's where that Stephen King himself as a, appears on camera when, um, when Stu comes back to the camp. Cause like, I remember this thing with, I think it's in the, in the miniseries, but in the book too, where, he's kind of a legend at this point and it's been a long time. So him coming back and telling the people that are like guarding it or whatever at the gates or something, it's like, I'm Stu Redmond. I think there's a little bit of a doubt of like, I don't know that you are <laughs> as opposed to them yeah. like recognizing him right off the bat and stuff. Mm. Um, and I think one of the people that played the guards in the miniseries in 94 was Stephen King himself. Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, it wraps up like we, the, the events of the book wrap up and stuff. And so I remember going into that last episode, what's it called? The circle closes. I'm thinking to my, that's where I'm thinking to myself, like, I think we've gotten through the book here. So like, what else is going to happen? Um, right. and then this is the one that's written by, by Stephen King. Um, yep. and, uh, yeah, it brings us to the, to the last thing that we haven't talked. So we talk about like, it, yeah, it ends like. Fran and Stu go, they have the baby, 
who they name Ab- Abby, right, in this? Abigail. Yeah, yep. yeah after yeah. Mother Abigail, of course. But in the book, it's just named Peter. I can't remember if it's after someone or not. But uh, anyway, so they go back east, and uh, that does happen. But in, in the TV version here, uh, they stop off at somehow they're kind of taking their time because i feel like they they're in their mind like they've made it through everything there are no more obstacles we don't need to be like worrying or stressing um yeah they stopped somewhere in like oklahoma or something no uh nebraska yeah i remember oh it is nebraska i think that's kind of like the homage back that they're going back to the book you know where heavenford home really was and not to step on dave's synopsis but that, that they run into the young abigail in this like this place in Nebraska that they thought. Oh, is that where Mother Abigail initially was? Was in Nebraska? In the book and the miniseries, Hemingford Home is is a town in Nebraska. Ah, okay. In this one, it's a nursing home in Colorado, right outside of Boulder. I see. So, right. Yeah. Okay. Because that that is the, yeah they stop there and then there's this <laughs> I think in my note I'm just like who the fuck yeah who the f is the young lady in the cornfield? <laughs> when it I'm really watching. freaked me out. It yeah. really freaked me out. I was like, please don't yeah. let bad things about to be happening. Like, come on, please, no right? bad things. Yeah. yeah. It was very nerving. Yeah. yeah. And this, so there's like this little girl who has an ethereal. I mean, it is weird to just like have in the middle of nowhere. I don't know what could she be like an eight year old. Um, black girl with like a nightgown <laughs> and uh, and she's just in a field like out near this home where they've stopped to, to rest with their baby and uh, there's something striking about her uh, you know and, and just weird because like how she's surviving out here etc and um, and then when I, when I was fast forwarding through it today so I can't quite remember do they get introduced to her before Stu leaves to kind of try to find no, supplies. she doesn't. She doesn't come out of the cornfield until Franny falls down the well, and then she okay. goes and takes care of the baby while Franny's in the well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so, yeah. what was your? So, so yeah, to, to, I'll set it up, and then I'll ask you how you feel about it. So basically, there's no running water. Um, Franny's like, "What about tomorrow morning, Stu? That's when we shit. We got to get the water pumping. <laughs> <laughs> we need water." <laughs> yeah. But no, that's not exactly what happens. But they don't have running water, and Stu, Stu leaves, and and Franny's just kind of looks looks at this uh, pump, and she's like, "I wonder." She's talking to Kojak. She's like, "I wonder if we could get this thing going." And so she goes over and tries to kind of fix the well pump, and falls in, and it looks like a pretty rough fall. Uh, and then now she's at the bottom of this well, and she has this, um, you know, I guess dream whatever there's a lot of stuff that takes place in this kind of nether world with, with everything with no mother abigail or randall flag up until a certain point is always in this kind of dream type state anyways and uh so she's kind of having another one of these and it is flag in the and he in, he sort of walks her through the the jungle and shows her this tribe that's never been kind of encountered the modern world and um, he basically tempts her like instead of like Jesus tempted in the, in the desert by Satan, it's like Franny gets tempted in the jungle by flag who I think mother Abigail in this, in a, another part of this dream calls him his father's son. Yes. <laughs> like basically intimating that yes. Randall flag is the son of the devil. <laughs> uh, anyway, so we sort of, 
I don't want to go to like through the whole thing. I mean, I guess somebody does. So one of one of you guys pick it up. So she's down there. She's getting tempted. What what happens next? Um, she's desperate. She's she's hopeless. She thinks that that's the end for her. Um, and all he wants is a kiss, right? Like that's like, yeah. And to he, peek through her eyes from time to time. <laughs> and to peek through her eyes from time to time. Small and ask. So, that's a yeah. small ask. And uh, she leans in to kiss him, and then like almost bites his bottom lip off yeah. and says she'll never do it. And then she's almost isn't, doesn't it happen? Like she's almost instantly then transported to like this cornfield or back to the cornfield or back to mother something. Abigail, but right? That's that's, where, back but to yeah. mother Abigail. Mother Abigail. Yeah. yeah. But it's who's died it's at actually this point. Mother Abigail. Yeah. Yeah. Who has died, but she's telling her her whole future. Like you're, yeah. going to have like all these kids and they're going to have kids and they're going to be like, and it's going to be awesome and repopulate the earth. Gonna be yeah. A, yeah. yeah. Repopulate the earth. And which is pretty awesome. Uh, yep. So, uh, and that's when it, she comes back to reality at that point and the young version of Abigail, which I, I, that's how I so read I it like too. It. Yeah. I mean, maybe yeah. that's just how it was supposed to be. I'm not sure I put that together the first time that it was like some, I also wondered like, is she maybe like the next generation of mother Abigail? Like in a, cause there's well, that whole I think thing it's of like, the same thing. if flag represents that, you know, coming back to that tribe, that evil will always exist and you will always mm-hmm. have to stand against it. I think it's more, the implication in the book is like they're the good in the world. Like they have the potential to be Mother Abigail, whereas like Flag is this outside force that's influencing man. Goodness comes from man themselves because Mother Abigail just lived her life the way she felt God was supposed to, and that's how she got picked to be this good yeah. this representation of good. I think this is mm. more of an opportunity to like actually put a face on that. That if Flag comes back and it's because evil will always exist. Like there will always be a mother Abigail because mm. good is also there. Like the potential for good is mm. also there. Um, yeah. I like that. Yeah. That That's my take on it anyways, is that he's just I explicitly like giving now that good goes on forever too. So I, it worked for me. I, I like that they made it back to Maine. I like that, you know, she's talking about like, she shares her vision, you know, that they're going to have all these kids and, they're going to repopulate the earth. Yeah. Yeah. I liked the, I mean, as I said, I liked the kind of the whole thing and, and why I resisted watching or revisited in the other adaptations. Cause I just really wanted this one to kind of live in my mind for a while. And it did feel so much like the book, this one. Yeah. This deviation, it felt odd. Um, it felt like this was the one written by Stephen King. Uh, and it did feel like his new, update right so it was like this was initially written in like the mid 70s came out in 1978 when it came to paperback it was updated and the events were like pushed up in terms of like the timeline and even the references and then again in 1990 when it was republished as this complete uncut edition where a lot of the stuff was put back the the references were again updated and kind of he had a chance to really revise it and uh, and it ended with this same way with flag in the in the in the tribe that he he retained for this um curious to see how the night because 1994 then everything was updated yet again for the circumstances Mm -hmm. you know it's like it's he just 
and I think I think it's the girl who played Julie Lawler or whatever in one of the behind the scenes thing were t- was talking about how there are people that kind of it is in some ways it's like this living document and and King keeps kind of revisiting it and or having the opportunity to and kind of updating it and kind of refining it and stuff like that and so this thing with the well felt like it felt a little indulgent. <laughs> like it didn't need yeah. to happen and it was kind of mm. odd because but I think I ultimately liked it. I thought it was but it's definitely like not central to anything that happened. It was just kind of yeah. felt to me like an interesting thing that Stephen King did and it was like so just writerly the whole thing. So this is not like mm. a criticism yeah. saying like, I think it was bad. It's interesting to me because of it. Like this one is called, so like the whole epilogue with Flag encountering a new group of people and the thing where he's talking about it with, and I think it's even the last line line of the 1990 complete edition that is this, is life was such a wheel that no man could stand on it for long and it always at the end came around again to the same place. So this whole idea of the wheel of the wheel turns. I think Abigail says that in the dream thing, Mm. this episode is called the circle closes and there's all this, like watching it again. Now there's all this imagery either from really far overhead with the well or down below looking up. Like there's an overhead shot of the well itself. You have three circles (laughs) in one shot. And so you can just feel the heavy hand of the writer and the director trying to bring all of these themes home. So in a way it's satisfying to like look at it this way and see it all come to fruition and to to have the embodiment perhaps of of mother abigail in this next generation who's like flat out supernatural in this case because she just like disappears you know it's one of those things if you watch close but does she leave footprints it's weird too like suit even with Stu, he's got a wheel he's behind the wheel of a truck He's got the he's 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 held up because the wheel of the car the the tire punctures and he's trying to change the wheel of the oh. tire all of these things it's like he's turning the thing with the jack and it's just like and then they're really like driving all these metaphors home uh, and uh, and it really makes so like when and he so he comes back and like the he never says like who the fuck is this little girl. <laughs> Yeah. None of that. She's she's just like telling him what to do, yeah. and she goes, "Dog, baby," and the coach goes over and watches the baby, and nothing is questioned. They get Fran out of the well, and and literally like, and it's like really harrowing too. Like, she the, like, the moment, yeah, she looks like she is going to die, <laughs> and and then the girl just like waves her hand over, waves her and, hand over, yeah, yeah. and Fran's fine. And, yeah, it's it's kind it's kind of bizarre, um, and then. But say they do all that, I feel like to drive home all these themes for Fran to be confronted by this temptation to have a comfortable life, to be saved. Like she thinks, so Fran thinks she's like giving up her life to not give in to the devil, basically. Um, And in doing so is saved by God, I guess, ultimately like through Mother Abigail, because the She's just completely healed, no pain, all this. They're going to be fine. The girl disappears. <laughs> and so they make it out to Maine, and then you resume like how the book ends. And uh, he asks her, because that is the initial way the book ends is this kind of question between Fran and 
and Stu about, do you think that like, kind of, do you think that people, the humanity will make it? <laughs> She's like, I don't know, you know, kind of, will we destroy ourselves ultimately once we all rebuild? Mm-hmm. That's how it ends. And, uh, and in this case too, the, so that it's a little bit more hopeful with that kind of edge then of that epilogue of him coming back and it all starting again. But, but she says then like he asks her, he's like, what happened in Nebraska? And she's like, you know, I, I was basically down at the bottom of this well. I don't know if I wrote it out, but she basically is like, I was down there and I realized that there is two sides to the world. There's like this, she's saying like them sitting on the beach and there's this deep, dark well of that's what she called it she saw so down there i saw them both and uh i guess she said she made a choice but so like even her saying that like she she was literally in the bottom of a deep dark well so it's just like so it's kind of great in a way but at the same time it's a little bit it was just kind of i could see why he did it i appreciate it i've enjoyed like digging into it it was kind of fun as a the filmmaking yeah. exercise, but I'm not so sure it was great, but maybe it was worth it to drive home those ideas and get that. Cause that, that too, you don't have to set up. Like they also lay the, the track of who this tribe is and what the, what are, what are at, what are the stakes here? The good and evil. And this is it all happened before. It'll all happen again. Once in every generation, a plague comes among them. And so it's cool. Is it's the satisfying. tribe that is the tribe that he visits that Randall flag and, and, um, what's her face visit together is that the same tribe that he's transported to at the very end of the movie i think yeah 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 Yeah. okay yeah all right i thought so i thought so So. yeah so the one clip that i saw stephen king talking about that ending that he wrote for this new miniseries he said he wanted to write an ending uh, like uh, an extended ending for the first one um for the 91 or 93 came out he want he's like i wanted to write this last bit of it and didn't get to and so that's part of why he was so excited to write it for this one so i'm wondering and i don't know the answer to this but i'm wondering because we didn't finish the 91 all the way through would the ending that they tacked on to this one would an ending like this have fit better on the original miniseries yeah i wonder Mm. i can't remember how that one ended uh, probably yeah. I I don't know because the the first one was so faithful to the book, so it's really like how the book ended. Mm. It, the the ending in the book is is Flag waking up on that beach. He acknowledges that there's some primitive tribe there, and he I think he says like you know it's time to do it all over again or something like that. And there's Ugh, not really Mickey. any, it, yeah. but there. And you find out that Fran and, and Stu make it back to Algonquin. I think there might even be a talk of how, like, they helped repopulate the Earth maybe a little bit. And, like, Kojak meets another dog and has puppies. You find that oh, out in yeah, the epilogue. Right. Yeah. And, like, yeah. Big Steve, that's that cute. was his name, though, in the pre Oh, trip. yeah! <laughs> so, uh, no, but, like, I, I don't know if it would have worked anymore you know, I, this is a common debate that we have on this show is just like, is it okay for artists to update their art? Like so many years down the road and just like dress like, no, I want a second go at that ending, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And that this falls into that category. It felt to me like it moved a little fast. It was, it was, I felt like it was quick. The last three episodes, there was so much that happened and so much story that got, 
pushed into those three those last three episodes that I would have liked it to be a little bit more expanded just because I had I found myself with more questions about well what happens now like what what's and that also is like not to compare the original and I know we need to wrap up that bell was the dog telling us that he needs to go to the bathroom but oh um, and the one I... that, the one that's sand is sitting in the background looking very patient at you like oh. yeah just as soon as you're done talking, mom. Anytime really like now. Uh, so I did feel Aww. like the last the last segment of it went a little fast. I would have liked to have that expanded more. But I also like the way that they gave most of the story of like all the bad stuff happened. And now our story picks up and we're going to, you know, tell you going forward. Like the way that the miniseries focused so much more on the pandemic itself versus this retelling focusing more on what comes after. So yeah. I saw those I, I saw those differences and wanted a little bit more from the last couple of episodes. But I love the way that they tied everything up. Like you said, um, babe, I was I was very satisfied with the ending. Yeah. 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 It was, uh, and again, overall, like if, if you're just upset that it's not the book, then go read the book. Or if you're just upset <laughs> that they deviated yeah. from the miniseries from the 90s, go watch that. As this, as its own thing, this is very watchable. It's very consumable. Uh, it, you know, it tugs at the right heartstrings and makes you like feel a little stressed at certain times. The way it should. It's, it's good, solid entertainment for sure. Yeah, I, I liked it as well, and I thought it was a great use of the medium, a great translation of yeah. the story. I felt like the story was enriched. You know, it could be argued like whether things like this or remakes and stuff are really worthwhile. And um, like the Pet Cemetery one, I could do without. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but like this, this I, I'm glad existed. I'm glad it exists. I encourage folks to check it out if they're um, intrigued by it on Paramount Plus. And I think it was a worthwhile experience that uh, I'm glad that you all encouraged me to seek out. Um, uh, I may, I may not have, I might've skipped it because, uh, of <laughs> feeling like I didn't want to go there, but ultimately, you know, like there is evil in it, but it's a real celebration of kind of fundamental goodness. Honestly, it's like, <laughs> it's yes. like a little kind of pretty cut and dry morality tale that, uh, I think ultimately, I ultimately, if you're asking me after seeing it, just thinking about this show and actually this is my view in general, uh, you know, about humanity that, that I, what, what's what Fran asked to do on the beach or, or vice versa. I can't remember what it is. I, yeah, I, th I think, I think, you know, that, that this is like the best in humanity and this, if we can steer into the, this side of ourselves as opposed to the, uh, the other, then, then, then we would, <laughs> we're likely to still exist in another yeah. <laughs> hundred years. Or we'll make it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys making the time to do this. I, I in our first, in our episode entitled "The Stand" number twelve or whatever, I think we were under really strict time limitations, and we're like, did we do justice to this epic book? I I feel like we gave an epic amount of time to it today, <laughs> and so yeah, uh, we had a chance to kind of have another bite at this apple. <laughs> it was a really great chat. I guess just to wrap it up, we I don't think we've talked about anything in these terms in a long time. But, uh, and I think I know the answer, but just for formality's sake, is the 2020 edition of The Stand, as, as seen on Paramount Plus, a Palmer's pick? Oh, yes, I say yes. Yes, I say yes. Great. Yep. All right. I say yes. Well, Simon, yeah. your thoughts? <laughs> I look terrible. 
Well, you know, the, <laughs> no, it's fine. the dog has to go to the bathroom and uh, we've been talking forever and ever, but this was super fun. Thanks to you both. It yeah, was. No, it was really nice it to spend the afternoon with you, talk. Dave. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Awesome. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording because it's the only thing that will stop me talking. And uh, I love you guys. I hope you have a great long weekend. And happy right. belated anniversary. You. Enjoy. <laughs> yeah, oh, thank, thank you, so you very much. much. Yeah, enjoy yeah. the weekend. Tell the bride we said hello. I will. Okay. Yep. Love you, buddy. Right. Pass on love our too. love and have a great weekend. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Thanks. Bye. So there you have it. That was Long Walk Short Drink episode 90. Thank you to Palmer and Ash for spending their entire afternoon with me and talking this through. A thank you to Moto for his rock and theme song. Be sure to check out his EP Red Eye Highway Session under the name Fascist Puppeteer. If you'd like to uh, to write to us, you can email the show lwsdpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter slash lwsdpod. Perhaps I'll tweet my death warrant and pizza <laughs> excursion there from a couple weeks ago. Um, lwsdpod.com for show archive and other related media. I found recently there's a little search bar there. If you want to search for something like The Stand, you can. Uh, that's where you can maybe easily access that those episodes 12 and 15 that uh, would round out the conversation here. You can also, of course, find those on whatever platform you're listening to this on. Uh, and while you're there, please subscribe, rate, and review at whatever that platform is. Uh, and until next time, thank you for listening. Cheers, Long Walkers. experience an experience we like to call Steve we'd like to warn you we don't claim for this to be music it is not music it is whammo what Steve Sean Cameron what I know that kid from high school I hated that (laughs) whammo what is that yeah I like to order a Big Mac Coca-Cola and a slight order of rock and roll. Nothing. Does the government does the government know you're working here? Stay back! Stay back! Get out of here! In studio tonight we have two members of the new band Steve. <laughs> They're doing a gazebo tour this summer. If anything really big happens, then good. That's so, a big gift. Uh, Steve. Coming at you. Just playing with the guys, do you think you'd be as close as friends with them now? Probably a little closer. Probably There's a been some tension. <laughs> No, no! <laughs> the sweet baby Jesus! Those first couple weeks turned me off like that because, because of that. Thinking, hey, these people don't want me in there. And so after a while, I got actually kind of just, you know, discouraged. I got turned off by it. I was like, oh, screw them. The band has been a bit more frustrating than I expected <laughs> because we have such a, a limited amount of time 
do stuff, we have to prioritize them. The priorities are often different. Dave's too much of a perfectionist. It's just not fun for me. It doesn't like I hear it, it's like oh, this sucks. like I hear the music, like, it's not working. So they had their songs, they had their parts, and we're gonna play these freaking parts over and over every Dungeon Day, every chance we had, because we had Katie's party in a week. Now, if we're not perfect in that week, I just swear to God, I'm gonna kill myself. I was like, holy shit, what are you guys doing? We don't have the illusion that, like, Steve will continue on and on, and we're gonna pursue record contracts. I'm gonna have it. Well, <laughs> see there right there, this, this, is like, this is what I'm saying. Rolling, here we go. Just like to remind people, it's not music. It's what I'm doing.